Bobby, I'm speechless. I don't think you are. <laughs> I think you'll have plenty to say. I got a lot to say. My goodness. Okay, so just to remind you listeners, last week we did a two-part podcast where we did predictions about 2021, and we literally postulated um, events surrounding what happened on Wednesday at the Capitol. We talked about the the, July, uh, the January 6th rally, the cu- counting of the Electoral College votes, and wondered aloud what might happen there. Bobby, I think you wondered about potential for Antifa involvement. I wondered about the potential for a false flag. We both wondered about that. Um, well, in the aftermath of this, uh, everybody listening, if you haven't, if you haven't been... Uh, if you haven't been made aware already that there was a riot in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol building, then you are living underneath a very large, very heavy rock. And clearly, the mainstream media wants you to believe that Trump incited an insurrection, nothing less than an attack upon the democracy that constitutes America. This is the this is the coordinated lockstep language that's being pushed out on every network, except I think to a certain significant point, Fox has calmed down on that rhetoric and is distancing itself a little bit, which is something I think we should talk about. But for the most part, the mainstream corporate press, the fascist corporate press, is attempting to put forth the narrative that a huge unruly mob of people broke into and vandalized the most sacred temple of good governance that exists in the world today. And meanwhile, on the other hand, five or 600,000 people were there in solidarity, singing the national anthem, trying to get attention to the fact that the government really needs to address the, the election fraud that went on and listen to at least the the main leader that represents resistance to the to what the oligarchy has been pushing and then they walk down to the capitol building in a peaceful manner and then it gets out of, a few people caused a situation that got out of hand and those 5 or 600,000 people are now right now telling their 10 or 20 closest friends that the media has misrepresented or mischaracterized the events dramatically. Now, granted, there was a riot. There was violence done in the Capitol, meaning there was vandalism. There, were, um, there was one person shot, but of the other deaths, it appears that they were all related to other health problems. A police officer died due to a blood clot that was in his brain that was dislodged because of the aggressive uh, struggle between the cops and the protesters. Another police officer committed suicide after the fact, and they're calling that in D.C. a uh, 
death in the line of duty, which we can't count that one. And there were three other people we believe that had heart attacks or stress-related um, deaths that were due to just the overall agitation of the day. So one, in, in actual fact, there was one death, and, and I'm told, I didn't actually watch all the videos on this. My, I have a contact who's a law enforcement professional, and that person indicates that it was a bad shoot, that the, the officer took his eye off the person, pulled the trigger potentially on accident uh, under stress, and shot Ashley Babbitt through the neck as she was going through a window, and the guy's on suspension. And so, so this is characterized as a massive, massive incendiary incident when in reality there's probably what, um, probably a couple hundred thousand dollars of damage. They'll, they'll find a hundred, couple hundred thousand dollars worth of damage to windows and doors and stuff in the, in the Capitol because ex- replacing those types of barriers are expensive. But Bobby, how much damage was done during the Black Lives Riots matters? Or the Black Lives Matters riots. <laughs> Did I just literally say that in that order <laughs> on tape? During the BLM riots this summer, how much violence? What or, or what uh, what kind of damage have they estimated? I've seen I've seen monetary uh, damages in the billions uh, estimates in the billions of the damage that was done in various cities throughout the the country during the summer when when these uh other riots occurred which were also violent and what were were any federal buildings attacked any government buildings there were government built there was a police station in minneapolis did i say i can't say that city's name yeah minneapolis mini mini is there an extra n in there somewhere minneapolis you're thinking of how it's spelled it's minneapolis the big city in Minnesota, mm-hmm. that their police station, one of them was taken over. The cops there just surrendered it, and mm-hmm. it was, it was boarded up. It was taken. It was completely taken over, vandalized. It was utterly wrecked and destroyed. And I, I assume that that was very expensive to recover, and probably hasn't been recovered yet. Um, have we said the date? Oh, we haven't. Welcome to the Mind Virus Podcast mindvirus.show on the internet. Uh, yeah, this, this week has been mind-blowing. Forgive us. It is January 11th, 2021. And uh, in D.C. during the summer, there was a, a big BLM gathering, and there are photos of, of fires throughout the city. There's a kind of a, a dramatic photo. Lafayette from, Park. From a... From a a helicopter or maybe a drone that shows fires all over surrounding, you know, right in the middle is the Washington Monument. And so you you may recall then that uh, certain uh, um, monuments and things had heavy military guards, heavy military presence to prevent those places from being vandalized. vandalized. Uh, the White House was was heavily fortified. So that's a good question. You wonder, uh, people are talking about the lapse in capital security. Um, is it possible they allowed people through or is it possible they just thought that Trump supporters weren't violent because that's been the case? I mean, there's a lot of potential. A story I heard was that bec- the Capitol Police, so the Capitol Police, those are different than like the D.C. Police. Oh, okay. I, I think. I, I don't know for right. sure. 
the story that I've heard is that that they had a they were about half capacity and weren't too worried because it wasn't the Trump supporters who had been rallying all summer long and all fall that were causing trouble. And so they didn't they either didn't anticipate something like this happening because of past behavior or were just incompetently led and and had poor planning. There are strange videos of police officers letting people into the building and and moving barriers back and and chatting chatting amicably with people as they taking wander selfies into the, into the building yeah the, taking selfies etc the people entering the capitol aren't an angry mob they look to me more like tourists yeah and, what what's funny is some of the know, pictures you see of these guys respecting the velvet ropes like they were staying in lines and looking around taking photos now and you mentioned earlier there were some that kind of ruined it for everybody there's there's these agitators and there's these photos of you know the 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 buffalo man is the famous face he's the face of this and his buddy has it's been discovered that the the other guy the bearded dude they call him the duck duck dynasty guy poor we shouldn't associate him with duck dynasty but he's got a big beard and he has a hammer and sickle tattoo on his hand so that's interesting the, the mainstream media is has gone out of the way to debunk that and say it's a logo from a video game. So, oh, really? But what's I, your what's your take on that? My take is the photo is pretty blurry, and the BBC enhanced the photo. Uh huh. And tr- put that logo on his hand very uh, way more clear than the photo uh, reveals. And so they they, they there's a little the, trickery there, and. I, which I thought was uh, it was really obvious what they had done, and I don't know if it was they were doing that on purpose, but well, but, here's here's some. But oh, go regardless, ahead. Regardless of who these people really are, you know, there's videos from the summer of Buffalo Man, you know, with a Q sent me sign and things like that, and being a very adamant Trump supporter. These other guys, I don't know who they are. The but that isn't really the point. It doesn't matter. Now I think that I think this Q Buffalo guy is. I think he's just a guy that shows up and is meant to be seen. You don't dress the way he does and and say the things that he says in not wanting to be seen. So he shows up to be photographed and he and it works. He gets his photo taken everywhere he goes. Yeah. Suddenly, I saw accounts I saw accounts of him leading chants at some of these BLM like leading them in chants like he's part of the, whether he says he's Q or not, he's or, or a Q follower. Something that strikes me as really curious in all of this is that there were hundreds of thousands of people there, and yet somehow he's the guy that ends up at the in Senate the photo ops podium, getting his picture taken by accre- accredited professional photographers, and uh, he's the guy in the in the holy of holies, so to speak, of the Capitol building. Yeah, that's one of the questions that's not really being talked about is who are all the photographers? Because in a lot of the videos I saw, you had one or two agitators with a with a wall of people documenting it around them. And then like like some of the window breaking episodes were filmed from multiple angles and you'd have the crowd shouting to stop anti the crowd was shouting to stop Antifa, stop Antifa, you know, and then one guy gets up there and tackles him and tries to get these guys to stop breaking the windows. But it's like it's like there's 
there's 50 photographers and three or four people actually doing something like the two guys breaking the windows and the one guy that pulls them off. And there's multiple camera angles of that. And then you get the, the cop on the stair scene. The cop on the stair scene is incredibly enigmatic. Okay. You've got this uh, cop, and it's the black guy that's running up the stairs calling for backup, right? And he's telling oh, inside the inside the building. Yeah, inside the building. Mm -hmm. He's telling he's telling these agitators to back up, back up, back up. And uh, he's making threatening gestures at him, somewhat comical. It is. And then and in front of him stands a guy who continues to mirror him. He 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 just it's like they're playing a, a playground game. Like you can only get within five feet, but you can't get further back or or you know, mother may I or, well, or uh, red red green, stop an, go. An angry mob, a truly angry mob would have just trampled him to death. Yeah, he and and this guy, uh, he even has the presence of mind to to back up and pick up the baton that was dropped. And the, so you've got this standoff, and the dude that's standing opposite him, I think, has an American flag styled as a Q, right? Yeah, a Q so, shirt. So clearly this is meant to uh, tell us that these are Q people. But what I think is the most blaring question that, that I'm not seeing asked is, what about the photographers? Which is what you're saying. There's a photographer behind him documenting the... In, yeah, the, in the video, there's in, a photographer. Yeah. Well, but there's a, there's also a photographer that's taking the the picture from the vantage point of being behind the cop and is running. Yeah, he runs with the cop in the in the correct direction the whole time, and you have behind the cue agitator. It appears to be a press of um, a press of people, but it's mostly people filming. So you've got essentially a standoff between one guy, a, a couple of agitators, and a bunch of people filming and it. Then you have the person that is filming the video that we all saw. Right, who, and who then that? and then they take the they they run up two flights of stairs, and all the people could have at multiple points. There were two points where they could have turned a different direction, but instead they all followed the cop both times. Instead of going the other direction, they all follow the confrontation, and then they they have another staged. It appears to be staged. I mean, if 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 like if it were me, I'd have to say, and I wanted access to the building. I would have been avoiding the cops. I would have been going the other direction. And it appears that that whole thing follows the, the police officer. So, so there's a lot of unanswered questions about it. And getting back to the primary source accounts, we both have multiple family, friends, associates. I guess that puts us in guilt by association territory. Clearly the content of our uh, podcast puts us in guilt by association territory. If we're not, if we're not banned fairly soon i'll be surprised we just by the way got on spotify google and apple <laughs> just for fun <laughs> but uh we're we're self-hosting the podcast i for various reasons um resiliency i think is one of them but uh we've we've heard from multiple close primary source accounts that were at the rally that it was not just mostly peaceful it was peaceful and that they 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 had a hard time seeing that there was violence going on. And that's how big the crowd was. And their characterization of the Trump speech was that it was patriotic. They were singing the national anthem. It was a, it was a, it wasn't a, it wasn't unruly like even a soccer game might get. It was a patriotic thing with grandmothers and dads and moms kids. and, and grandfathers. They like, feel, they didn't feel didn't like feel the, this, this was not a situation that was, uh, out of hand or ever going to ever get out of hand. And then when they, you can see from the, the reactions of these people that went through the Capitol who walked right into it, they didn't think the situation was out of hand. They were walking through like tourists, taking pictures, having conversations with the cops, taking selfies with the cops. So, so you have a, you have a, 
according to the eyewitness accounts that I've personally heard from, you have a gross, massive mischaracterization of the overall picture. Nobody's disputing that there was vandalism in the Capitol, that there was a confrontations with police, but there's a, there is a huge mischaracterization of the total picture, and 500,000-plus people are now out there in the public telling their family and friends that the mainstream media, the corporate media, has got it wrong. Well, and, and kind of in keeping with topic that we, we've touched on before is this idea of, of the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, maybe hypocrisy, but this, this double standard, this double speak, we've seen it with coronavirus, and we've talked a lot about that. We've seen it with politics where the BLM riots were, cat- were, were described in one way, and the pictures and the firsthand accounts refuted that claim, you know, mostly peaceful or, you know, I've seen recently kind of side-by-side screenshots from mainstream news sources from, say, July or August that say that violence sometimes is necessary to fight for justice. And then uh, an article written, you know, this last few days that say that violence is never permitted and it's always, it's always uh, uh, to be, to be condemned and punished and prosecuted. And, it's on its surface, you just have basic partisan hypocrisy. Everybody's kind of come to expect that, and it doesn't seem to bother people the way it should, in my opinion, because we're all so embedded into our teams and our tribes. But the bigger picture, and I think something that is uh, being deployed widespread, in, a, in a widespread, harmful manner, is this, is this doublespeak and this idea that this doublespeak that is this is meant to lead to agitation, frustration and anger. So we've had we've literally had months and months of angry, violent, fiery riots in the United States and then when one group of people joins in that doesn't traditionally join into that kind of behavior I'm talking about the political conservative right. When they have their violent moment and their riot, it's immediately condemned. And it's almost as if the entire summer and the not just the behavior, but the voices of defense of it, the the justifications of it are all just wiped away and erased from our collective memory. And now the oligarchy has exactly what they wanted. They have exactly what they wanted to lead to further consolidation of power, of uh, freedom of speech, of freedom of association, of freedom to gather. Do you? Do we really think that uh, the political right is ever going to be able to have another rally, at least in the near future, without without severe pushback, if not outright government? prevention it's not only that they're removing these voices from the public square here we're we got to talk about the deplatforming of parlor um and i think we'll get to the censorship here in a minute i just want to point out we don't we could spend all day going through examples of hypocrisy on the left double standard on the left but one of the most vitriolic uh haters out there was maxine waters she um i'm just the first 
the first link that uh, pulls up when you look for her relative to well, she's a, inciting let's riot. Remind people who she is first. Okay, go ahead. Well, she's is she still elected or is she retired? I don't know. She's a Democrat from California. She's an elected representative in the House of Representatives. Yeah, she's not some like a uh, uh, fringe blogger or something. She's yeah. a, she's supposed to be part of this sacred cabal, right? <laughs> that she meets in the Capitol. She in uh, when was this? During the summer, right? Yeah, it was during the summer. It looks like it was in June. She made comments in at a rally in California that were by far like 10 times more incendiary than what Donald Trump was saying. You know, she said she's talking about harassing Trump supporters and saying, let's make sure we show up wherever we have to show up. If you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out there and create a crowd, push them back. You tell them they're not welcome anymore anywhere. We got to get to their children connected to their parents. We don't know what damage has been done to these children. Uh, we, sorry, we've got to get to the children. We don't know what damage has been done to these children. All we know is that they're in cages, they're in prisons, they're in jails. I don't care what they call it. That's where they are. And Mr. President, you will see every day, every hour, everywhere that we let you know, that we are there to let you know you cannot get away with this. And then she doubled down on her remarks and says she has no sympathy for members of the Trump administration. Uh, the people are going to turn on them. They're going to protest. They're going to absolutely harass them until they decide they're going to tell the president, no, I can't hang with you. Um, there's a compilation that I saw of a whole bunch of clips like that from this summer encouraging and celebrating violent behavior when it justified or when it was in, when it was done in the name of Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Which was also kind of twisted into this anti-Trump movement. We don't necessarily want to get mired into the all of these examples. They're out there. You've probably seen them. Plenty of other people are covering it. Yeah, we don't want to get mired in the uh, the partisan aspects of this, but I think the point is, what's the bigger picture? Uh, you know, it, it is frankly mind-boggling. I, I look at events on the national stage as if they are planned, not as if they are happenstance. I believe it's pretty clear there were subversive elements inside of the crowd, meaning subversive to the crowd. And this is a tactic that has played out since, um, at a minimum, since the communist Bolshevik re revolution. By the way, the word Bolshevik in Russian literally means majority, okay? Karl Marx didn't say that we need to win the battle of democracy for no good reason. And uh, the founding fathers, there are plenty of examples of them talking about Alexander Hamilton, for example, talking about the extremes of democracy, wanting a more moderate government, and a moderate meaning in the sense of a, uh, a benign government, not a moderate like left versus right versus moderate government. Um, uh, you got Sam Adams, I think, uh, talked about dem democracies committing suicide. Uh, James Madison also, we could, we could put all kinds of quotes, we could be searching for quotes all day and we'd find pages of information illustrating that the Founding Fathers didn't intend to set up a democracy. So first off, when you see this rhetoric in the media telling you you've had an insurrection against our democracy, this is democracy. That is how democracy works. They are, they are again, neuro-linguistic programming you to think one thing that is to think something that's incorrect. And 
it's not just neurolinguistic programming. It's it's also uh, visual programming. I think that one of the one of the issues with the you know one of the things that makes the news media so dangerous and and they are literally the news media are the domestic terrorists here. They've been terrorizing terrorizing us since at a minimum March of last year, and have been terrorizing Americans for a long time. They they create this this angst and terror that causes people to do really stupid things by the way they portray events. So what they're doing is in a sense in a sense worse than lying. What they're doing is showing events and then spinning them, telling you what happened, and then you have a sense of having been there and you've assimilated a deception more deeply than just if somebody told you the wrong thing and it was just a lie and then you find out later, oh, it's not true. They said they said the color of that fence was black, but when I walked by, I saw it was white. No, they, they're, they're telling you, um, it's, it's literally, it's Plato's allegory of the cave, that you're chained to a wall looking at shadows on the cave and they're, they are uh, in front of a fire behind you putting up images that are meant, that are supposed to mean something to you. I think the hypocrisy of it is important. Uh, hypocrisy is uh, comes from the Greek, and it means a- an actor. And a hypocrite is an actor. And that's important to bring up because we see acting going on. What, where do you think those anchors are getting their talking points? They're getting them off of a teleprompter. The, the, the people that are running the, the main discourse are using an assembly-lined, uh, top-down pyramidal type of a structure to disseminate news, and we got we got to find. I, I think I can find some of that. Uh, there's some really good montages of the news saying things in the exact same way, like channel after channel after channel, repeating the, the exact the same famous, script. The famous one is the Sinclair Media uh, montage, where I think that the concluding line is. Uh, Incredibly dangerous for our democracy. Yeah. Incredibly dangerous for our democracy. And you have all of these anchors, you know, uh, saying this. And ve- it, when you like see forty it, or fifty stations, you see them all together in, and 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 they're able. These people that have put the montages together are able to synchronize them so that they actually sound like a, a crowd chanting. And it's it's comical because some of the some of the anchors try to try to portray it as if it's their own thoughts and 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 like they themselves are giving this speech that they've that they've written and it's it's funny just to watch mm-hmm. how some of them get so sanctimonious about it they're reading a script i'm 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 more and more in the camp that a lot of these news anchors these news readers are they're paid actors they're paid actors but I don't think they know how to, I don't think they have the ability to think. I think they're like almost robotic. If you got one, if you got one in a, in a conversation away from their teleprompter, I'm not sure they could put three sentences together on any given topic. They're just, they're just tied to their teleprompters, teleprompters. I feel like, uh, there's a, well, (laughs) there's a scene in, in the movie Aladdin that I think illustrates how I'm feeling right now. The genie's playing cards with the rug and he's losing. And he says, I'm losing to a rug. (laughs) It's like, don't, why don't people see this? Why why, is it, is it that hard to see that your, your mind is being manipulated in a very specific intentional way? There's this woman, I don't know who she is. She's from Utah, and she, in the course of 24 hours, she berated 
Spencer Cox on his first day as governor. It's supposed to be his big day, you know, inauguration day. He was getting ready to ride a fire truck somewhere. Oh, yeah. Was that one? Was the video the one at night where he comes up to her and says sanctimoniously? And this is what we're getting in the media, this sanctimonious, uh, condescending um, we'll tell you what's up. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. He, he. He. She says, "Why aren't you supporting the uh, the Republicans? Why aren't you supporting these people who want to investigate the election?" And he. And he basically says, "I'm sorry. I feel bad too. I mean, how? He, he that, put, like he's talking to a child. He puts his hand on her shoulder, which in today's day and age, you know, with social distancing and everything, is." Is a no no. I think he put his hand, her hand on his hand on her elbow, his, his, or yeah, something like. because that's a manipulation but, technique they teach you in dating classes, right? To to if you touch somebody on the arm, that. But I think it's wholly inappropriate for any any adult male to to touch a female stranger, right. especially he, an elected he, one. He comes up to her. He, we'll put the, We'll we'll link but to this. But he also says when he touches her, he looks at her and says, "I love you." <laughs> it's creepy it's, yeah. and he's wearing a mask so you and this is what i talked about last time you can't you, you there's no facial uh cues you just see his deranged looking eyes and his ties a little bit askew he's at the end of his big celebratory day and he's getting ready to ride a fire truck to somewhere because that's important way to spend yeah. some money is to ru- that, tote the governor around on a fire right, truck that, in that, a, on a cold January day. Yeah, that's not a mature way to address someone's grievances. But he just, and he, and he creepily puts his hand on her and says, I love you. I feel bad too. And then she, you can't really hear what he says after that because she goes off and berates him. And she, she yells at him. She says, don't touch me. Don't touch yeah, me. Don't touch me. Back off. This same woman in a, in a longer version of that video to pull this back into the press and the reporters before, I think it's before, maybe it's after and they're driving away. Anyway, she, there's a news crew there, a local news crew, and they have their, their pretty faced reporter on camera talent. And she's standing there wearing a mask as well. I don't know what good a pretty face is anymore in the news when you got to cover it. But she's, <laughs> and this woman, and I have no idea why this woman was allowed to be there. I don't know if there was a, it seems like maybe security would have been a little tighter or something, but I think it was a small town. I think they're just following. Yeah, I think trying they to were get... in Fairview or someplace. Yeah, because uh, he's is it, a small Utah town. It's it's from where Spencer Cox is from that area. But this woman comes up to the reporter and says, "Why aren't you asking any hard questions? Why aren't you asking about the money that this costs? This seems like a a waste of taxpayer money." And the reporter just stares at her and kind of is tongue tied, and she says. She just, she, love it or not, or she just turns on this poor reporter and says, you're terrible at your job. You suck. You are bad at your job. You need to ask questions. And the, and the reporter has no response. Because there's no prepared script. There's no, pre- and, and it goes back to what I was, the point I was making earlier. It's, I don't think she even, it never would occur to this r- reporter who appears to be in her 20s, right? Maybe you know, she's young. It never seems to occur to her that there could be other things going on in the world that are related to what she's seeing, but that she has no clue to even well, investigate. Like just the cost of it all is a pretty basic yeah. thing. Not to mention the symbolism of this guy and all the pomp and the circumstance of a guy being elected governor. Well, I look, I, I think that idea that, you know, when one person complains, 
it means there's a ton more people that haven't complained but feel the same way. I think that's really relevant here because you're hearing, I saw a video of Mitt Romney being shouted at on the plane. He's been called a traitor by, you know. The whole plane was chanting Well, it was like five or six people, but it was a, uh, a whole, it was a lot more than just one person. And, uh, you know, that's got to be uncomfortable. The same woman berated Romney at the airport. Right. Well, Lindsey Graham got shouted at. He, He had a police escort. He wasn't wearing a mask. But people, th- this is the thing, They're, these people have been comfortable in their tyranny. This oligarchy has been very comfortable for a while, and it's evidenced by the fact that Mitt Romney flies first class, and you know he's not flying private, and he, he, he feels like he can just go out there and be what he, whatever he wants to be. He's definitely very well, um, at he, least in the mainstream in Utah, he's not being attacked very much. Well, there's billboards right now thanking him for his courage yeah so but that but who knows where that money came from but (laughs) right right it could have been mitt himself (laughs) i mean he's got the money to be to be putting out the the billboards that's a good question who paid for that billboard i wonder if it was the someone associated with the romneys uh closely but he gets up that woman that woman starts to talk to him he says get back off you're not wearing a mask she's like i'm six feet away back off you're not wearing a mask she says okay i'll put a mask on i want to talk to you so she puts a mask on sits down six feet away Lindsey graham no, this is uh, Romney. Oh, okay. This is that one you're referring to. She sits down, oh, in talks to him in the airport. Yeah. Same woman that accosted And starts cost. to ask him why he's not a real Republican. And then he, he finally, not finally, but within just a few seconds, decides this is not good for my image. So he, he stands up and takes off. He closes off. his, his yeah, iPad. And, and, and I think that these days, these, the, the, this time where, where people are having a chance to literally confront government, because remember... The First Amendment guarantees you the right to be able to petition the government for redress. And that's what's been going on. And the courts have been stymieing this petition for redress in a very big way. Like they'll, they'll say things like, you know, we're going to dismiss this case on a technicality. All the cases. In fact, I know an attorney. You know this person, but we don't want to out them. I know an attorney who told me, look, I've and, and, and this attorney is not into conspiracy, right? Conspiracy ideas. The idea that there's a, a big coordinated effort and that's what we're getting at is this coordinated effort is clear evidence of a cabal (laughs) but uh this this person is not into it and and they said i've looked at the evidence and it's very compelling like there's surveillance video of them (laughs) taking ballots out and counting improperly and then the laws that were broken the states flouting their own laws he says there's been so many cases you'd think they could get some traction somewhere on an appeal or whatever but there's no traction and like they've got good attorneys but why aren't they getting why aren't they getting any traction? It's, it's compelling, obvious evidence of intentional fraud. And none of it gets any traction. And so the, the people have nowhere to go. If they can't get redress in the courts, if they can't get redress from their public officials, if the public officials insulate themselves, the, on, the next step is violence, if you, especially if you get censored. And so this is not um, unknown to the oligarchy. This is like government 101. This is like, uh, these, these types of um, issues have been addressed in uh, political writings for ages, and, you know, in, up to and including uh, Machiavelli's The Prince. We're, we're living in an inflection point in history right now. We're literally watching these people move from a position of comfort to a position of defense I'm talking about the oligarchy where where you, you will not like they're going to erect barriers around the capital. And this is this has been going on for years. There've been uh 
uh, it was really, it's people like, I think, Alex Jones, who gets out there on a bullhorn and, and they go to Bilderberg and they go to, they go to these uh, globalist events that have caused a lot of the security to be heightened around, around um, you know, the banking buildings and federal buildings. They don't like the, the optics of, of a big crowd out in front of the Federal Reserve do you remember, bullhorning them. Do you remember when uh, Bill Gates was in, was it Belgium, when he got hit in the face with pies? No, I don't remember that. When was that? How long ago? This would have been maybe the late 90s or early 2000s. Oh, and wow. He, it's, it, the video's out there. And I guess we'll, it's another thing we'll need to look for and link to. But he gets out of his car. You know, he's not. He gets out of a a, a, <laughs> a I car. I don't know if it's a limo or a taxi or whatever. But I think he's going to some meeting, and he and someone pops out from around uh, a pillar and pies him right in the face, and it's and uh, that could never happen today with someone like Bill Gates. There would be all kinds of security. He'd probably be wheeled in in a in a underground entrance and things. But yeah, just to what your point is that. Security recently is more and more. I think with the rise of the internet and the dissemination of more of this information, the the powers that be have had to kind of shore up their security. Well, the the, the word is getting out who the who the uh, some of the higher level actors are, right? And bad actors is what I'm talking about, and so therefore they're having to take greater steps. But well, and that that kind of that. That brings up another really just fundamental or foundational question about what happened at the Capitol is how could there be that level? Because rem- remember that the entire Senate and House was was meeting. They were in there. Yeah. You would have thought. That and they there knew there was been, a rally. You would have thought there would have been a lot more security. There's a planned rally. Well, yeah, from now on, there will be physical massive barriers. They'll, it'll look like a police state. We're moving from an from a de facto police state to what will appear to be a very much a, a jackbooted thug there's police already, state. There's already there's videos of National Guard being deployed in DC now. I it's hard to know what's authentic and what isn't, but I've seen these videos and and DC is is looking very much like a militarized zone. And it's only a matter of time that that, that mm-hmm. will start to spill out into yeah. other big cities. Well, the, the 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 oligarchy for many years, many decades, ever since uh, the was it the early '90s, the Clinton administration have been trying to paint uh, white male males, white men, as domestic terrorists. Mm-hmm. They've been doing a really good job. Now, remember, the white population is still 60% of America. So you're talking about 30% of America they're trying to denigrate as potentially a white supremacist, racist um, agitator, domestic terrorist. And they will drum up. We talk about this. one of my predictions, right? They will find those types of people. And Biden's going to do this. Absolutely, this is going to yeah. happen under Biden. They're going to go find somebody in, in somewhere. Yeah. Well, a lot of the terrorists and turn them into a domestic terrorist. Yeah. What's funny is we haven't seen a lot of terrorism uh, activity in the last four years. Interestingly enough, right? We uh, we haven't seen a lot of what we would call false flag activity. We haven't seen a school, lot of domestic school, terror school shooting. School shootings things. are down, right? So. So that's that's an interesting thought, but you got to remember a lot of the terrorism that they the terrorists that they busted. In fact, for the most part, I can't think of an instance where it was uh, an actual terrorist. An actual terrorist, because you get things like that Christmas tree bomber in Oregon, where this guy was going to 
uh, he, he was going to bomb somebody, but it turns out that he had received his supplies training and f- had, had been fomented. The whole thing had been fomented by uh, the FBI or, you know, there's agents, a, agents that were looking for terrorists. They're, they're, there's they're a, infiltrating your, your neighborhood lacrosse uh, team or your, your canasta group and agitating for terrorism. And then they arrest you for it. And it's like, Oh, we caught the terrorist. There's a, uh, a, a podcast called radio lab and they do a lot of different, a lot of different um, subject matter. And they have an episode where they address the ethics of this because they talk about, and I don't remember the exact, I think it was somebody in Idaho that got arrested who an FBI agent contacted this guy and did, did exactly that. He agitated this guy and put ideas into this guy's head who's already maybe a little bit extremist, maybe a little bit, I don't even want to use that word extremist. He was a guy who had counter uh, uh, views. He had, he had views that were non-traditional counter to the to the mainstream narrative right and they arrested this guy he never committed a crime other than agreeing to this other guy who agitated him into it anyway this this happens all the time it's basically what happened with probably the most obvious example is what happened in waco with the branch davidians the branch davidians were not started by david koresh he kind of rose through their ranks. They existed in Waco for 20 years before what happened in the 90s happened. They were they were kind of looked at as an eccentric, but uh, sort of even well-respected. They were friends with the sheriff. They had never caused any problems until the government showed up and started agitating and creating problems. We're going to see more of that. And, I think and then, they, then they locked them all in and burned them down and bulldozed them. And it's exactly what they did. It's exactly Ruby, Ruby Ridge was the same thing. Ruby Ridge was exactly the same thing. It's exactly what we do internationally. We, we funded, we funded Al-Qaeda. We it's created called states, them. Yeah, it's called state-sponsored terrorism. Al-Qaeda was uh, the freedom fighters in Afghanistan, right? Right, when they were fighting the Soviets in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Who, who funded the freedom fighters? Right. We did. Right. So what I think is interesting, though, is for the last 20, 40 years, the, in general, most of these elected officials have been comfortable to go out in public, like Mitt Romney, fly on a commercial flight without serious protection. I, I remember uh, I've been in close proximity to the governor in places where it was obvious he could have been taken out. Uh, in past outings, like these guys are not really that afraid for your safety like it appears maybe they would think in the movies. But I think that's going to change because the the tone, the tenor, the the feeling out there is rapidly it, changing. It will probably change for two, re- two reasons. One, like you said, the tone is changing, but I think that they will also, they, meaning the, the elected officials, they want... They want it to change. So they are going to start mm-hmm. acting as if they are constantly under threat. Yeah. And, and and it's good for the security state because then you can hire more security. And where do you get that money? Well, you either just print it or you take it from regular people. Right. Right. It's Well, well anyway. What's what, Another question about the Capitol Day. I guess that was almost a week ago now. Last Wednesday. January 6th. Trump gave that speech. Where did he go afterward? He... Was he just whisked away? Like you would think, 
I don't know. It's just like, it's just, again, the day, the events of the day are just, dude, they're just bizarre. bizarre. If, if, if Trump was outdoors, he was in front of this crowd. If this crowd was unruly, was, was unruly and starting to riot, they would have, Trump wouldn't have been able to give a speech that lasted more than an hour. I mean, the guy just goes on and it's on a and rambling, on. It's an incoherent rambling yeah. mess. Like most of his kind of off-the-cuff things are, he kind of overviews the whole voting fraud uh, ideas and says things that, he says things that every politician always says. He says things like, we won. We, we think we won. Every politician always says that. He says things like, like we're going to keep, we're going to, you know, this isn't over. We're right. going to keep, we're, we're going to keep, keep fighting. fighting. Yeah. And, and that he word said, fighting is what everybody's saying. Yeah, that, that's what's in the impeachment uh, articles right now is that he said, you've got to fight like hell. Yeah. That's, uh, that's called political speech. That's, yeah. Barack Obama had a whole crowd chanting stuff death, like death that. to America. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no a, sorry. That was, that was a different crowd. Different crowd. <laughs> but the point is, well, let's think, talk about, let, let's move into, go ahead. What was your well, point? The point is, I think you're right. Is that we're going to see more secure, more security theater, um, and who always pays the price for when the elected officials play their games? Who always gets hurt? I do. The regular people, right? Yeah. The well, uh, it's, I have to mention G- Gavin Newsom, who might be the worst governor in the in the world in the, in the United States. Recently, said that somebody asked him. A, a reporter had the I don't know if the reporter was hit in the head and, and, and spoke truth or something, but he was asked about the struggling economy in California. And California's had very strict lockdowns. Right. They've ha- and they've had a, a lot of people leave the state um, just permanently. They're just moving. And Gavin said, I think our rich, the richest people in our state are doing pretty damn well. And it's just like, how, <laughs> how out of touch can you be? And it, it just... It's another little layer to this overall point that you're making that these guys have, there is no accountability. So Mitt Romney can go at the airport. He probably thought that people would be asking for his autograph and there probably people were in asking for photos. And he, mm-hmm. they go around and they act like they get on the, the, the fire truck, you know, and Spencer Cox keeps begging people to look at his YouTube channel with his inauguration speech. There is no accountability. They have no well, Spencer Cox no. hasn't done anything yet, but he's right. I mean, politically, other than just make statements that make him look quite buffoonish. And it's not until the unrest shows up at literally at their doorstep that these these people in Washington seem to understand that maybe maybe an environment of fomenting political angst and agitation and anger isn't the best way to govern people and it's just gonna bite them it, it'll blow up in their faces because they're not they're useful idiots well they play politics but the, it's the media that's inciting the riot and right. and let's let's talk about the are we okay to move i mean there's a, there's so much more to say about this i feel like you know the way i've been talking today is kind of disjointed the mind is boggled there's so many implications of we what's both, going on we both we were talking a little bit before we hit record and, and it's been a it's been it's been a, a difficult, not difficult. It's just been, we're trying to wrap our head around it's what's di- going on. No, it on. is difficult because it's, we can see, fast. We, we spent the last podcast talking about where the, where the world might go and it wasn't pretty. But then 
to see that manifest so quickly. And then in the aftermath of the riot, the vandalism, yes, that happened. In the aftermath of that, to see the heavy-handed, hypocritical, double-standard response of a unified response coming from the statist, leftist media is very alarming because after the censorship comes violence. When people cannot feel that their voice is heard, they then resort to greater things. And this was not violent uh, in uh, the sense that the, you know, like the Black Lives Matter riots were violent or in the way that uh, I think the political right or the, not the political right, but the conservative right, the, uh, the disenfranchised right could get violent. I mean, for them to call this an insurrection or to call it a coup or to call it uh, an insurgency is, can I just use the word, I guess I can't because we're a family program. I was going to say bat blank crazy. <laughs> it is literally it, it's... In, insanity, absurdity on its face because the right are the ones that own the guns. If they, the, the right, and they're going to go after the guns, by the way, they're going to go after your guns. And I want to say this. No doubt about it. We've had that right since time immemorial to protect ourselves. That is a God-given right. And the laws in America have protected that since the Bill of Rights. And there is nothing that they can do or say or pass that makes your right to own and bear arms and use them in defense of family, home, uh, city, whatever, in defense against tyranny. There is nothing they can pass legally that takes away your right. It does not make it immoral it, if they pass a law. And the existence and the codification of that in the Bill of Rights does not make it so. They could they could they could undo they could, the Bill of Rights. They that could right change the constitution. Yeah. It they could change the constitution. Away. You still have that right. And, and that's the same with our right of speech, of assembly, of religion. All of the all of the rights in the Bill of Rights that they were not created with the creation of the Bill of Rights. They were protected. They already exist, and they exist inherently of themselves. They Pe are people like to read the preamble to the Constitution and say, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union, do this, do that, do the other, right? And they, they like to use that as an excuse for the government spending money in behalf of the people. But I think I have never heard anyone read the preamble to the Bill of Rights did you know that the Bill of Rights has a preamble? Mm -hmm. The Bill of Rights' preamble basically says, because we find it necessary to place further restrictions on the government, we're going to clarify the following. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. If, if you look that up, you can read it. Literally, the point is that these guys knew how dangerous government was, and so they went so far as to be explicit as to what they did not want the federal government doing. The First Amendment starts out like this. It says, Congress shall make no law. Now, do you know how many books there are, how many uh, laws there are on the books about religion, about... Uh, guns. Guns, about... Well, that, that's the Second Amendment. Shall not be infringed. Right. You know how many infringements there are against your right to bear arms, to own arms? I mean, people will say, well, we can't have people owning nukes. Duh. So so you're going to pass a law? All the people that own What's, nukes don't care about your laws. <laughs> right. So the, 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 this, this is just a, a breakdown of logic as to why these things would be in there. And they, they've had to carefully, over the last 100, 100 years, 150 years, change the discourse in public education so that we don't understand the true history of the country. The country 
the, this literally the, the movement of the revolution started at Lexington and Concord when the British were marching to take away the Patriots guns. That's what it was over. Uh, you know, Paul Revere, the shot heard around the world. It was all about the British going to take away the, the local militia's arms. And what were those arms? They were the absolute best military weapons of the day. They'd included cannons, cannonball, et cetera, et cetera. They wanted to take their ability to defend themselves. That's what it was over. The preamble to the Bill of Rights says, the conventions of a number of the states having at the time of their adopting the Constitution expressed a desire in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers that further declaratory and restrictive clauses should be added and as extending the ground of public confidence in in the government will best ensure the the beneficent ends of its institution. Right. They're restricting the government. It's explicit. And that's what the Constitution is. It's a contract between the states that restricts the federal government. And we have, over the course of history, because the people because the people's minds have been polluted, we have gotten to a point where the majority of the people think that the Constitution restricts us, that the government is supposed to restrict us. And that is 180 degrees from well, it's reality. An, it's an inversion. And inversion is a theme and a topic that we both like to talk about. And we both need to, we probably need to have an entire podcast dedicated to that. But we've seen just recently, we've we've seen a, an entire cultural inversion where doctors no longer promote good health, where government does not protect rights, where even religion does not preach God, and where where lawyers do not uh, protect the law. Right. Yeah. the 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 Declaration of Independence is becoming more and more more. Um, applicable to the situation the everyday man faces, and that includes all the races, black, white, Hispanic. And I think the situation, the awful situation we faced is evidenced by the fact that Trump got more votes from the, the minorities than any other president, any other Republican president before him, right? He, he was gaining ground, not losing ground. He took some of those supporters that uh, the Democrats could normally something depend that, upon. Something that doesn't that I've never seen talked about in the mainstream from the 2016 election is that Donald Trump flipped states that had been blue since Reagan, particularly like uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, um, some of the other kind of Rust Belt states. He flipped those red, and they, they'd been blue for a long time. Mm-hmm. Bush, Bush never won those. Romney didn't win them when he ran, which means that there's something else going on here. It means that people who voted for Barack Obama voted for Donald Trump in 2016. And why? Because they see the situation deteriorating for the common man, for the for the everyday man. And for whatever reason, Trump came to represent a change of that. And right. I, and we could get into yeah. Trump, and maybe yeah, that's he did, for a future he, day. You know, I, I, again, I didn't I didn't vote for the guy. Uh, I didn't vote. <laughs> Be honest. And that's you. You should do what you think is right. You. Uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't participate in the in politics or the or the system, but for me personally, I'm I had a personal uh, revelation, let's say, that I should not engage in in that, and so I didn't vote in the 2016 presidential election. I didn't vote in the last one because I didn't think it was going to make a difference. In fact, uh, 
I thought, I can see what's going to happen here. And I started telling family and friends, you know, it looks like Donald Trump is going to win in 2016, even though it was overwhelmingly for Hillary. And that's, You sent me an email in the spring of 2016. Oh, yeah. Did I say that? Telling me that Trump was going to win. And that was kind of when I started looking at things a little differently as far as the election goes. Yeah. I don't remember what sparked the conversation, <laughs> but I still have the email and we could prove it if we need to. We're not going to prove it. But um, but, but the, po- the point I'm trying to make, let, let, me, let me finish the point here, is uh, let me see if I can even remember what my point was. <laughs> the, the common man... <clears throat> The, the oligarchy owns Google. They have Google Analytics. They know there's a populist uprising. I don't like the word populist. I think it's a, it's a, our, our rights are being trampled. Things are not working out that like they should in a free society. And so we want something different than the establishment. And all the people that you're giving us, see that the, the presidential election is very controlled. And I do think the oligarchy gave us Donald Trump as you know, a bad option. When you're playing chess, you take away the other players' pieces and then they have limited options and it's pretty clear how, how you win after getting to a certain point. And so Donald Trump was the la- is one of the last pieces that the uh, conservative, and I use that word in, in the sense that people who want to conserve American values, because he comes up with make America great, right? I mean, again, the, the, the slogans and, the, and the, the main idea is that he represents that part of America, the people who want us to be good and happy uh, and kind even. I, what's funny is in the neighborhood I saw some Make America Kind Again signs going for Biden, which is just the left is not kind. They're vitriolic, well, Biden himself, people. Biden himself, has, his career is basically built on on retribution and punishing people. Uh, there's video of him saying like the N word. We have too many N words in. Well, just look I mean, at his legislative uh, history with the crime bill. Yeah. That crime bill was devastating. What about the quid pro quo with Ukraine? I mean, he literally is on videotape saying extracting quid pro quo from Ukraine. And then they impeach Donald Trump over that very thing. They, they are everything they are accusing everyone else to be. And that is by technical definition, satanic. The word satana literally means the accuser. They do something and then they accuse the everyday man or everybody else of being what they are. The new popular term for that is gaslighting. Gaslighting, okay. Well, I I never heard that term before maybe a year or so ago. The technical term is Satan. (laughs) <laughs> and right. that's that's unfortunate but that's I'm not trying to say anything other than that's what satana means the accuser and so you get this accusatory situation and you're being accused of being what they actually are it's and, and by by they I mean the the this uh this oligarchy element that controls the media and the people that support that whether knowingly or unknowingly it's ironic that trump would would come to represent sort of the traditional rural, gun-loving, Bible-toting, mm-hmm. deplorable. Yeah, because that's not really who he is. He's a New York yeah. socialite. He's been wealthy his whole yeah. life. He's he, he's never lived in the, in a rural but, state. But that's he's what, never, probably never ridden a horse or driven right. a pickup. But that's what he, well, maybe, but <laughs> that that's what he represents. That's that's the thing. Is he, I, he, it, it's a symbolic thing. and It is, and he, he's, what what you have is what you've what you've talked about this uprising. He, people have just projected it into him because he was willing to tell the media uh, to go to to go to hell to go to hell. He was he was willing to to push back. Whereas someone like Romney, when he ran, 
Romney Romney just didn't resonate with anybody, really. Romney got elected by by imitating his primary opponent. He literally would watch videotape of this guy and learn his mannerisms and say exactly the same thing as the guy's name was Mike Kennedy so that the voters would have no appreciable. You're talking about when he ran, when he for, ran Senate for Senate in Massachusetts. No, when he ran for Senate in Utah. Oh, in Utah. In Utah. Or, he was governor in Massachusetts. Yeah. When he ran for Senate in Utah, he had a problem in that he looks like a carpetbagger. Okay. Well, he. Oh, c- so if it is. walks like a duck. But uh, the, the thing is, Mike Kennedy was a state legislator and he um, is a doctor and an attorney. He's a good guy. And so Romney, the reports that I've heard is that Romney basically just in, imitated Kennedy. And then it came down to the fact that, well, there's really no difference between Mike Kennedy and Mitt Romney. And Romney has a bigger name and he has more money. So he wins easily. And uh, this is problematic because basically what you saw was a total and complete fabrication in the primary. That was not Mitt Romney. That was someone else. And and he is a chameleon, and he's very slippery. Well, and Romney, I've I've met Romney, and even in a friendly setting, he was extremely robotic, and had no personality. And he does he goes where the political winds blow, and so in Massachusetts, he was all for socialized, because state controlled health care insurance, health insurance. Let's call it there. Let's get the care word out of there because it's different but he was all in favor of health insurance right now he can score political points uh denouncing what happened at the capitol and and of course all of these republicans are doing that and that's easy to do Mm -hmm. but none of them seem interested in figuring out why it happened and we we've had four years of donald trump as president as any serious journalist with a large audience Tucker Carlson's has, talking about it, I think. Has any serious reporter or writer or politician tried to figure out why Donald Trump has such a widespread appeal? I think I think Carlson is is at least pointing out that look, there's a problem here and, and there's a lot of Americans that you are like we're talking seventy five million Americans that you people are Half attacking. The voting public. Yeah. And, and so Carlson's pointing out how how uh, th- it seems to be that the so the will domestic anybody teri- will anybody now try to figure out why people are upset or is it? Just, I think they're trying to, but they're being too easy just to say you're all racist domestic. Now the new term is domestic terrorist. You're all racist, homophobic, misogynist, sexist, domestic terrorist. Well, there's a split. There's a split occurring, and um, it, but, it, but but Trump l- l- just. Final thought on Trump here. He represents this malcontent of the common man, and I think that's illustrated by the fact that he got his his um, his approval rating generally was gravitating between forty and fifty percent, and it still is. And his um, base in the Hispanic, Black, uh, you know, Asian communities was growing. And and what's crazy is you get the situation where. Uh, in a lot of states, he his the percentage of the minority populations that voted for him was was higher and was it was increasing, except for in the inner city of places like Philadelphia, where almost 100 percent of the blacks vote against him. It's evidence evidence that there's fraud, and so even these people from those places are sitting here going, "That's not right," and and you have a you have a huge 
under the surface rolling boil that's or uh, uh, simmering pot that's starting to turn into a rolling boil, and so that creates uh, a situation, the, the type of situation we've been talking about. If you were playing the long game, which we, the bad guys are playing the long the game. The oligarchy is, and you wanted to disrupt, really the last remaining place on the earth where there were some liberties still. Or an ethos of liberty, an expectation yeah, of liberty. still in existence, where people still had guns, where, ste- where people still valued religion and cooperation and uh, autonomy. If you wanted to disrupt that place, and that place was also the world's largest, most influential economy, and also that place had the most influence culturally in the, in the, in the world when it comes from an uh, entertainment, pop culture kind of uh, zeitgeist influence. How would you do it? And of course, I'm talking about the United States. How would you? How would you turn the upside? Uh, how would you turn the United States upside down? Well, if you're playing the long game, Donald Trump is a great vehicle for sort of the culminating events. And we and we can go back to 16. When he wasn't supposed to win, and he did. Who did that make angry? The left. And the press had four years to rail and rant. To enrage the left. And to in- further enrage the left with with the conspiracy theories of Russia, with uh, the very fine people hoax, with um, this idea that he was being controlled by Russia, that he was—you remember when he first got elected— Everyone told us that he was the the, the first thing he was going to do was blow up everybody with nuclear bombs, which was kind of insane and also really against his character. He's been one of the more anti-war presidents we've had in a long, long time. That doesn't mean we're still not at war in any way. But but so the left spent four years feeling righteous indignation, being mad, being angry. They impeached him. Now they're trying to impeach him again yeah. on his he, way out of office. Well, he got a couple of concepts out there that are interesting. He got the concept of fake news out there, and he got the concept of deep state out there. And so, right. you know, you, a lot of people will argue that Trump is a good guy, but he's uh, having problems because the bureaucracy is not behind him. Well, that's, that's a possibility. You know, we just don't know. We can't tell for sure. We can we can see what happened. We can see that the replacement for NAFTA, I forget what it's called, is just as bad as NAFTA. We can see that some of the peace deals that were brokered, they all involved a lot of bureaucrats and diplomats, and, and it doesn't mean they were good. But well, his, on its face, it looks like there's an attempt. And his team is full of deep state actors. But so on the flip side, so you had four years of the left getting mad. What happened with the with the traditional right is that they spent four years kind of rallying behind him and some of these things that he's been talking about. And then you have 2020 where... Again, if this is the perspective of if you're trying to turn this country upside down, 2020 was a year of anxiety, division, division, isolation, anger, isolation. It was it was brought up a little bit in the summer that, of course these of course these people are going to riot because they've been isolated and and they have no outlet for their anger for their frustration. So they're now they're like you said you take away communication then you have violence 
Then you have what was we were told before the election was going to be a contested election, and it was, and it and it is, a contested election. That's getting the right angry, or the left is also becoming angry about the that. Both sides are saying it was one side saying it wasn't fair, the other side is saying deal with it. And so that's that mm-hmm. simmering pot. And then you have the events of Wednesday. Well, let's 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 in, go back. In well, real quick, in 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 of in of in and of themselves in itself, taken in isolation, it wasn't that it was a it was a remarkable kind of sight to see. But it wasn't it wasn't, you know, people Media people are calling it the darkest day in American history. And I can think of about a thousand other days that were pretty dark. Yeah, it really wasn't that bad. You had, you had a bunch of windows broken. Surely the, the people in the Senate and the House were scared and guns were drawn. Uh, the but mostly, de- And it seems like the deaths, I'm not trying to under underplay uh, those or anything, but they all seem as the result of, an ac- of accidents of unintended. They were unintended. Nobody... It doesn't appear that somebody decided they were going to kill somebody. Yeah, there, there was not malicious violence like death violence. That on uh, it, even the guy that shot the the woman, Ashley Babbitt, I believe is her name. She should be remembered. That appeared to be an accident. Uh, right, like you said, a bad shoot. The, there's some video that maybe there's some video of people that appears that people are beating somebody who's on the ground with their flagpoles and stuff. That might be the only incident of some. Mal- Act, some actually malicious really, and I don't really, think that was the police officer that died I think this guy was injured and is in the hospital type of a thing and I don't want to downplay that either but there's plenty of really dark days in American history some of them quite recent yeah. that, that don't get talked about for example our our, uh, you know our uh, blind eye to the drone wars you know Barack Obama killed an American citizen with a drone and two weeks later, killed his 16-year-old son. Now, you can make an argument. I don't think it's a good argument. You can make an argument that the man, this was a, an, he was an American citizen, had ties to uh, Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda, the Middle whatever. East. He hadn't ever committed a crime that we know of. Right, you can make that he argument. Went there, but he, he went over to, I think he was killed in Pakistan or mm-hmm. Afghanistan. But he was there. But again, he had family uh, and c- cultural ties to that region of the world. Is an American citizen, and he was vaporized with a drone. Now, an American citizen is is supposed to have a right by trial. That's called due process. It's, yeah, he's it's entitled in, to due process in the Bill of Rights. Now, you can make the argument again. I say it's not a good argument that he was in the middle of committing crimes and was was killed. Well, his sixteen year old son was not. His sixteen year old son was born in the United States. Was an American. He's innocent. He's just going where his parents taken. That family and, and Glenn Greenwald has done some great work on this. Right after Trump was inaugurated on a on an Obama ordered mission that took place after Trump was inaugurated, more members of that family were were killed. Anyway, what I'm saying is there's a lot of dark days in American history that we don't even talk about, let alone the things like that are obvious like like 9-11 or certain days in wars, you know, D-Days yeah. and certain days in Vietnam, things like that are far more, far more uh, impactful than a- angry people at the Capitol. And right. the Capitol has been stormed before. The Black Panthers occupied the, ca- the Capitol with guns. 
in the sixties. Really? Yeah, I did not we can know look that. that up. Okay, let's let's look that up. But uh not to mention uh more recently when Brett Kavanaugh see I'm getting into the minutiae of the <laughs> hypocrisy, but when Brett Kavanaugh right. was was being confirmed, people stormed the Senate and disrupted that vote. In Wisconsin, people stormed, if you want to use that word, the Wisconsin State Capitol in 2011. You might remember. Uh, you might remember that. There's pictures of. I'm not justifying anything that any of these things. What I'm saying is that there's hypocrisy. Being, but also I'm saying that being frustrated and angry with your government and sometimes taking that too far is an American tradition. Well, it it's happened. something that we do. That's it's something that is actually really important. And yeah, you can go too far with it, but that's that's the whole point of this experiment is deciding what is too far. And should we should we punish people that go too far? Yeah, maybe, but those punishments should be uh, in accordance with how far they how far across the line they go. But right now, people who people are being punished because they might do something. Twitter's wording on on banning Trump was that they banned his account not because of something he said, but because of something he might say to. I think their phrase was to prevent further incitement. Right. Well, let, let, now's a good time to read something that is the rationale for when you go beyond the legal limits. And uh, this is what I think people all over America right now are contemplating. Those that are recognizing the, the mainstream media it has a double standard, is, a, is very hypocritical, and they have an agenda. By the way, I want to talk about this some more because I was sitting in bed thinking, Maybe I'm looking at this wrong. Maybe the media is right. That, that thought occurred to me, and so I went through an interesting thought process. But, but when we're talking about people and um, what is moral, we need to remember this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Unalienable is a term that gets misunderstood. It's not inalienable. and It, it is written as inalienable, and, and it is related to alienating something, but the term is a real estate term. It comes from the verb alien, to place a lien. You cannot place a lien on the right of life, liberty, and property. What's a, Explain what a lien a is. A lien is a real estate term for uh, when you encumber someone's property with uh, some sort of an expectation. So, uh, like a loan, uh, somebody that lends you money to purchase a property you could place a lien upon your home or a, or a contractor that works on your home and you don't pay them. They can place a lien on your home. That means when the property is sold, someone gets part of your property mm -hmm. back. So that's what a lien is. So we're endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or as the founders describe, the righteous enjoyment of property because you've got to be able to use your property. Otherwise, you don't have liberty. To secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Not just the majority, but the governed, okay? The consent of the governed. Whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation 
on such principles and organizing its powers in such a form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Now, prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established shouldn't be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they're accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, no, it is their duty to throw off such government and, prote- and provide new guards for their future security. This is eternal truth. If there ever was eternal truth, this is eternal morality. And the issue is, are we piling up a long train of abuses? Because that's what the Declaration says. It basically but, says, here's the rationale, and here are the abuses. But, Jordan, you were just reading from some right-wing extremist blog, right? <laughs> It's been censored. It's, you know, this is at archives.gov slash founding dash docs slash declaration dash transcript. It may or may not be online next week based on what has been happening. This idea that of consent has been almost erased from our kind of conversations, our national conversations. I hate that phrase, but because a lot of times... Um, and you you brought up voting, a lot of times people will say, you don't have a voice if you don't vote, or like you have no right to complain if you don't vote, which is false. You have every right in the world to complain whether you vote or not. Your rights aren't contingent on on checking a box. Right, but uh, also, silence does not indicate consent. And And also voting, voting and losing an election does not, automatically create consent either. Right. Ask the women if silence indicates consent. Ask the women that have been raped if silence means consent. Right. And and this idea of consent, especially given the context of what we're seeing with coronavirus and people being kind of coerced into getting tested or even getting vaccinated without consent, is an important idea because I... I don't consent to taxation. I don't agree to that. Now, I pay my taxes because I don't want to go to jail. Right. I agree with you. And I've been before our city council, and I have said, I do not consent. I I did the same thing right to the mayor's face. I called (laughs) taxation theft and said he was stealing money and using it for stupid things and yeah and it is theft and i'm because, and people roll their eyes and say oh that crazy yeah. but that is that's the point here's the here's the thought process you need to go through you need to ask yourself is it moral for me to go to my neighbor's home and take his things or his money right the answer to that is no so then the question is well if bobby and i vote like let's say we get together can we decide to go take our friend's money no well how many people do we need to get to to come to our side to make it moral to go take that guy's money. This is the tyranny of the majority. And the whole point of the, the American experiment was to protect against that tyranny. And sedition and rebellion are unbecoming people who are thus protected. People who are protected in their natural rights, who are protected against that type of tyranny, ought not rebel against but the that key, government. The key there are, the key phrase is thus protected. 
Right. We're, I'm referencing a, a Mormon scripture, which is Doctrine and Covenants section 134, and it's verse 5. But, you know, not everybody needs to read that. It's it's almost a mirror of the Declaration of Independence, but reworded as to promote a, more of but an uh, emphasis that, on religious freedom. And, and that is often used today to, to basically say— In an inverted way. Be quiet and go along with what the government tells you to do. And again, that key phrase is thus protected. Are we thus protected in our natural rights? natural rights? Natural meaning given by God, innate— Unalienable, inalienable, whatever you want, to, inalienable, whatever you want to say. These are rights that can, that cannot be divorced from a person for any reason. They are simply they they simply are because it is self evident. And right now we have a situation where things that are seemingly self evident are, by a large portion of the population, beginning to be believed as opposite. To self-evident, that to them certain things are not self-evident. The other, the wrong things are self-evident to them. Piggybacking on our previous two-part prediction episode, what comes next? Well, let's go. Let's go back to the to the events of last year because we were talking about the setup, and 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 the setup was that Trump was put into office. Whether he was selected or elected is somewhat immaterial. I think that he was both selected and elected. He was the last viable option. He represents the, flipping the middle finger to the Clinton-Bush establishment, okay, the oligarchy that runs us. And he was, he was in office, for better or for worse. The media turned the, the office of the presidency into a, a literal running Jerry Springer episode to the point of Russia, 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 impeach, 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 and then... Bam, coronavirus. And then things get interesting. That, that I think, March was a critical point in time when the, wheel, the, the wheels of oppression really kicked into high gear and they started to isolate and terrorize the population, literally terrorize. They are right now calling good people all over the country domestic terrorists. These people have been terrorizing well, and, us. And not just calling them terrorists, but also calling for retribution against right. people that were there. There was an ABC article in, on the Capitol, but also people who voted, who voted for Trump. There, you know, the the secret ballot is important because you need to be able to go and vote for whoever you want to vote for, or not vote at all. Right. There, there was that's literally being, that's being unraveled. Yeah. A, A, Rick Klein, ABC. This is on a Fox News article that was really good. Uh, Rick Klein, Mary Alice Parks, they wrote, um, the fact is that getting rid of Trump is the easy part. Cleansing the movement he commands or getting rid of what he represents to so many Americans is going to be something else. This is literally war. They are literally fomenting war. And they shot, they shot first. Remember, they shot first. They have been antagonizing the public for at least four years, at least since March. And so what I wanted to point out, what I was getting at, is that Trump was getting plenty of press. They, he's having press conferences. There was all, the, the whole Jerry Springer thing was going on. Everybody's upset with each other. And then you get to December, and he gives the most important speech that I think perhaps in recent times that a sitting president has given, you know, since World War II. He lays out the reasons why the vote was uh, contestable. He lays out on December 22nd, from the White House, and again, remember, <laughs> I did not vote for this guy, and I have my serious concerns about what's going on. But he laid out 
all of the allegations in a cogent, non-threatening way, but an, uh, an emphatic way, and none of the networks picked it up. This was perhaps their chance to make a heck of a lot of money. They, they thrive on controversy. They've been showing that they love controversy, and they all in lockstep failed to mention it, and it only got out on Facebook. And his speech from the mall on uh, the 6th, last Wednesday, was a little bit of a repeat of the allegations of voter fraud. But they, they have been, the, the mainstream media has been very silent about, I want to call it the corporate media. I don't think it's appropriate to call it mainstream. It, the corporate media has been very silent about the specifics of the voter fraud. They have only said unsubstantiated and baseless allegations, and then every time that a court case was dismissed, they, they point out that the court cases were dismissed. But they've, they've sort of gone dark on Trump, and this was, the I think, the beginning of, in December and, and November, that was the beginning of the censorship wave. And so my point is that coordinated censorship is evidence of a conspiracy, okay, Coordination requires one or more people involved. This is a cartel, cartel-like um, movement that is acting in lockstep in ways that are so coordinated that they cannot be simply coincidental or um, incident to groupthink. They have to be literal plans being enacted because what we saw over the weekend was on the weekend, within one day, the decision was made by Google and Apple to deep to take uh, par- Parler, and remember Parler, remember the tech giants, these guys are monopoly capitalists, they have monopoly style control, and monopoly capitalists believe, like John D. Rockefeller said, that competition is a sin. And in our first episode, we talked about how the monopoly capitalists got control of the money system, and now they, uh, you know, have used the, the U.S. dollar to try and uh, do all kinds of things, Right. But you've got monopoly capitalists at work here, and now we're going after free speech. And Parler has been gaining millions upon millions of people. I estimate by the weekend they were up to about 15 million accounts. They are a Facebook-Twitter alternative, and they represent uh, an opportunity for millions of Americans to have conversations that are going to be less restricted than the conversations have become restricted in the last two years on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, Parler, one of the reasons people love them is because they're dedicated to free speech. And they, they, uh, if you read their materials, they, they have guidelines. They don't want you to incite violence, but they are dedicated to free speech. And they... Um, That's the, not everybody. The- Story the mainstream media tells you, though. The mainstream media tells you that it's a cesspool of hate and murder and racism and right. And meanwhile, meanwhile, Jack Dorsey allows hang hang Mike Pence to trend on Twitter. That the double standard is obvious. We we, a, we could we could waste and wear out our podcast trying to document all of these evidences. If you if you're not seeing it, I'm sorry, but it's there. Take our word for it. In a remarkable. In a, in remarkably a, obvious. In a remarkable uh, iron, uh, irony, the day that Trump was permanently banned from Twitter, the Chinese government tweeted out uh, a message that what they were doing to the Uyghur people, I don't know if I said that right. Uyghur? Uyghur, Uyghur. I don't know what, how it's... What, they, what they're doing to them 
which is genocide, is actually a great benefit because, quote, the women are no longer baby-making machines. And yeah. so you have this the CCP tweeting out d- d- uh, defense of their genocide, but Trump was banned, and a lot of Trump people, Trump supporters, were banned for incite for the accu- for being accused of inciting violence. The double standard is blatant, and it's it's on purpose. Yeah, and that's what I'm getting at. It's coordinated. This is evidence of a it's cabal meant that to make you mad. It's yeah that they have an agenda, and the they is be, it's it's not clear specifically who everyone is, but it's very clear they're acting in in coordinated lockstep manner. Listen to this, Parler on Fox. Uh, I'm getting this off of a uh, link on National File. They had a good article on it. The Parler CEO, John Matz, appeared on Fox, and he was talking about this, and he said, quote, they all worked together to make sure at the same time, and this was on the weekend, that at the same time, we would lose access to not only our apps, but they're shutting down all of our servers tonight off of the internet. They made an attempt not only to kill the apps, but destroy the entire company. It's not just these three companies. Every vendor from text message services to email providers to our lawyers have ditched us too on the same day. Yeah, Sunday S- night. So l- last night. On the weekend. Amazon uh, shut down their, a- their AWS. Amazon Web Services shut down their hosting. And I don't know if we get into this or not, but the, there's this idea that Twitter, Facebook, they're private companies. They can do what they want. And that's a very uh, kind of foundational libertarian idea. It's one that I agree with. Except when you become the public square. Right. And you have government. But also. Uh, you're favored by government. We're, right. Because we have public utilities are involved here. And, and this, isn't, this isn't a private company doing whatever they want. It's a private company. And we can even make arguments whether they're actual private or not. They're doing what the government is coercing them to do. So if a private company can do what they want, then then the then the that acknowledges that the people who 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 had uh who objected to the civil rights act on on those same grounds that a that a diner could legally segregate. exclude and segregate somebody on legally do that then then you're acknowledging that that is a legitimate argument that's an argument that i that, that I subscribe to. I believe a diner should be able to segregate. Does that mean that they should be rewarded for it? No, but I, and, and if they want to be punished for it, don't let the, the government shouldn't be the one punishing him for it. Should be the- The, the regular the, people The, the people can say, you know what? I'm not going down there to that diner because they segregate and I don't yeah. agree with that. And then the diner goes out of business and those ideas eventually die away. What's happening with Twitter though and Facebook is not a private organization saying we don't we want to segregate these these people. What's happening is they're being, in my opinion, they're being coerced to do it by the government. Or they're the coerced, or the oligarchy is coercing both elements, the government and the media it, it, right, and, the, exactly. and Twitter at the same time. So it's not like it can, we, it's very difficult to find out who the in, the actual we also d- all, decision makers and are. Also, a, a lunch a lunch counter is a lot different. And Jordan alluded to this, then a platform where billions of people exchange ideas. Which receives government support and public utility. And it relies on public utilities, yeah. It, it, it And who is lobbying the government for 
whatever they've got or vice versa. Further, what, what Apple, Google, and Amazon did is not a private company deciding not to serve somebody. They colluded to erase this, this platform, mm-hmm. this other company. And that's just, that's just, the, that's just corporate bullying. It's it's monopoly capitalism. It's it's Sherman Antitrust Territory and it's Act. It's really interesting or to s- to see the left leaning press, left leaning, defend this, defend this behavior. Imagine if, it, say, Visa or Mastercard would have blocked donations to BLM's website during the summer. Would would that be counted as a private company doing whatever they want? Oh, the outrage! Yeah, I mean, we can. It's so easy, and I think this is the general point. It's so easy to find all of the double standard and the yeah. hypocrisy in all of this. The question is, why is that double standard and hypocrisy being made so obvious? And not just that. You've got Sherman Antitrust Act implications here, and, and this America's been through this before. We recognize the danger of monopoly capitalists. The Democrat Congress this year, or 2020, still not quite used to 2021, called Facebook— Apple, Google, Twitter called them monopolies and introduced legislation to break them up. Well, but they they wanted them to perform for them. That's and that's what we're seeing is that all the polit- political elements are attempting to get media to work f- in their favor. You had that in the Georgia election. There were uh, Facebook and Twitter accounts and pages that were banned well, they, relating to the Republicans. And those companies deliberately suppressed news about the Hunter Biden laptop. Yeah, and they deliberately have suppressed information contrary to their view on coronavirus and, and the a, handling of it. And if a private company can do whatever it wants, why are so many private companies being forced to operate at half capacity or no capacity? Why are they forcing their customers to wear masks? Why are they uh, being forced to tape off tables and install uh, shields of plastic? See, we can get into this. And the question is, why Why is it so obvious? Well, this this is what I'm, uh, any big business will try to do. The first thing you do is you've got to get big. And the tech giants did get big off of the back of favorable government protections and, and privileges. Microsoft. Yeah, they, they, got, they got big with the help of uh, insiders. Uh, CIA money helped seed Google even, you know, Facebook. They're not, they're not as independent as people might think, right? Well, anyway, the first, the first thing you do is you get big, and then you go straight to government, and you lobby government to put up regulations to restrict yourself, okay? Right. Because if you can restrict yourself, you can create your—so you've got a lot of cash flow coming in, and your bigness allows you to pay for, like, an army of attorneys and an army of accountants. And what does that do? That, that creates barriers to entry for the little guy. You create industry associations. You create uh, government regulations, and then you can drive out people who—, who could use the lack of that to create efficiencies and are willing to take a little bit less profit, you, you will keep them from undercutting you. And here, once you've got them cut out, then you can raise the prices to wherever you want. Here in Utah, and I don't know if this is still the case, but it was uh, Tesla, which is kind of funny because Tesla's so big now, but Tesla was not allowed to have to, to have like physical car like lot here in yeah. Utah. And that was pushed by... Primarily the Larry H. Miller group here in Utah, which has a, a giant car number of car dealerships. Car dealerships. You know, that's a small example. Uh, there's a little there's other small examples that you've probably seen in your community. For example, that's somebody wants to cut hair in their 
basement, now they have to be licensed to do that. And that's a hard thing to become licensed to cut hair. Legally. <laughs> Legally. Not morally, but legally. Well, anyway. We, we don't have an FCC license, by the way. Going, going back to this, this censorship, coordinated censorship wave, uh, the Fox article is interesting because the commentator makes the point that they intend to deplatform everyone. We can see this coming, he says. This is the way the left wants to treat the public square. You're not allowed in it unless you agree with them on the vast majority of issues, and they'll only allow you in if you're going to be some domesticated animal and go along with everything they say. It's not about what's right here. It's about control, control of the narrative, control of the society. And I think that here is where we need to talk about what they want. What, 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 are the, what are the potential outcomes here? One we've talked about, they want us to go quietly into the night and just accept it. And that's, that's what you seem to get when you look at the media. But I would argue that the fact that Fox has sort of softened its rhetoric uh, like Fox was the, as you pointed out, Fox was the first company to, let's not call it a news outlet, let's call it a company. Fox was the first company to uh, call Arizona, the state of Arizona for Donald Trump, right? And it for was, Biden. or for Biden, excuse me. And, and they, they did that and it was weird. You pointed out that you were watching, it was, it was non sequitur. It was like, what, what is going on? Why are they doing this? Yeah, we talk about that in, was it part one? I can't remember. Episode four. But the point is that within 30 minutes, all the networks had kind of made some changes and, and several states had stopped counting. And then in the morning, the script had flipped and it was now Biden on top. All the vote dumps occurred, right? But anyway, Fox is the one that was kind of the main instigator of that. And now Fox has softened on their anti-conservative, uh, and again, I use that in the term, traditional values, American values, people who want... Um, people who want individual freedom, they've kind of softened on that and, and softened on the rhetoric relative to the riot on Wednesday. And they're promoting things like this, uh, this story that I just mentioned about how the left wants you to, um, to agree with them or otherwise you can't participate in the public square. So this idea that they want us to go quietly into the night, I'm, I'm starting to believe with all the antagonism that's going on, that may not be... The case, the second idea is that going back to the Norman Dodd, G. Edward Griffin interview, Carnegie Endowment for International, International Peace decides that war is the best way to change society in a dramatic way and in a quick fashion. I think literally they're trying to foment war. They literally are acting like domestic terrorists. They're trying to incite not just a riot, but a, a chaos and anarchy and war here in America. The other potential outcome, though, of this whole thing is that Americans simultaneously repent, change their minds, stop listening to the mainstream media, and completely disengage and go out and talk to, talk to each other and make friends. And so I, I want to point out that third um, possibility. I, I think it's unlikely because of the power the corporations that run media have, but I think it's headed to war but we could we could just stop this. We could we could just stop listening to them. And the way they're going to get their war is by creating a false dichotomy. That means you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. And for either side, the terrorist role is flipped, right? So you're either you're either with us or you're against us. And 
you need to fight somebody, right? The reason we're calling this the Mind Virus Podcast is because we want the the news to get out, the idea to get out that the media is being deceptive in a way that is trying to incite you to violence and to hurt, wound, kill, maim, uh, ostracize your neighbor. And we think we need to move past that. And the way to do that is first and foremost to recognize the deception in the media. It sounds like we're siding with the, the right here. The right is the, the side that is getting, uh, that is being the most demonized right now in, the, in at least the corporate square, the corporate public media square. And they're the side that is being canceled and uh, censored the most. But I think the point is that they need to have they're also the side that's the hardest to energize into a situation where they'll actually take action. And so you literally do have to take away their rights to get the right to take action. It does become a long train of abuses at some point. But that, that works well for the oligarchy And so because they, they benefit from the war. They benefit when you buy their stuff to break things, to destroy things, and when you buy their stuff to build it back up. And when you listen to them and they take control of politics and all that stuff. So, so all of the control systems benefit them. But we have a false dichotomy here and we do not have to side with a, a violent movement. We can simultaneously repent, and we need, that, that would require that we get the word out, and this, which is becoming more and more difficult as the censorship sets in. But we hope that's, I hope personally, that that's what you're getting from us, is not that you need to go out and um, engage in, in vitriolic, rhetoric against the other side it's recognize the deception help other people recognize the deception and recognize that there's a false dichotomy being pitched part of that false dichotomy is this idea of democrat versus republican or mask wearer versus non-mask wearer or believer versus denier when and that can be used for uh, for religion it can be used for climate there's all of these things that are pretend they're, they're manufactured sides, or I should say manufactured crises or issues that these sides all line up with. And it is a false dichotomy. The real dichotomy is, is truth versus lies. And you have to, we have to... Or oligarchy versus the people. Right. Because that's always been the case in the history of the world. It's usually an oligarchy versus the people. And it's a simple uh, foundational... Uh, principle of of defeating people is to divide and conquer well we're divided we're heavily divided i don't i've made the case i don't think we're as divided as the news corporations like to say and i still believe that so the big question going forward is can we people unite behind the cause of defeating the oligarchy because we have the we have the numbers we have the firepower, and I mean that literally and figuratively. We have, we have, we still have enough communication. We still have enough of a voice to do that. The question is, can we come together and do that? And I think in order to do that, it, there's going to have to be some kind of an event or exposure or something that says, that unmasks the real enemy in a way that even people who are happily sleepwalking through our lives, through their lives, 
can see. See, I don't think that's going to happen because they c- those people are listening to the media. Right. To the, to the corporate media. What would it take, do you think, for something to happen? What Would it be, you know, you can get, we, we talked a little bit about Q earlier. Would it be some of the Q type things being revealed? I don't think that that would have See, much of an impact. I don't think, even, even if... Uh, even if Donald Trump comes back and uh, stages a reversal, like like maybe see wa- watch for this happening. I don't. I think it's unlikely, but there's a possibility that they could they could say, "Oh, we found all this evidence of voter fraud. the The Democrats have been engaging in subterfuge, uh, 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 a very sophisticated coup, and we've we've uncovered the conspiracy, right?" I've, I, I told a friend at lunch a couple of years ago that that was a possible outcome. I was like, watch for them to hand us the conspiracy on a platter. And that was when they started to talk about the deep state. And we could literally see, see I don't think I would believe it, because if, if Trump comes back and says, we've wrapped everybody up, we had to take all these, these fascist actions, these milit- militaristic actions to, to fix the infestation of all these bad actors, and now we're we're still on a war footing at that point because the left isn't going to believe it. Even if the news media comes out and says it, the left is, first of all, you've got a bunch of use, uh, useful idiot willing participant types in the media. They, they don't, nec- not everybody's in on the, the actual plan, right? So they're, it's going to be hard for those guys to believe. But secondly, that's not going to fix it. It's just going to give all of the, uh, the people on the right or the regular, like really, if, if this is the regular Joe waking up and being dominated by uh, what, what, what the media portrays as the public mind, and then it flips back, uh, I think we're at war with China almost immediately, and uh, truth is out the window. Aeschylus, the famous Greek poet, said the first casualty of war is truth. We're in the war, and so I don't, I don't think that's good for America if it flips back around. I can't, I can't see how that would, especially if the media gets behind it. What, one thing you can tell is you know, you, you know where things are headed and you know um, when the fix is in, when there's a synthesis. There's a problem and a reaction and then the synthesis, when everybody appears to come together. And I don't think we're to that stage yet because this mass censorship is not does not go without repercussion. I think that creates uh, the necessary enemies. It, it enrages the left is already enraged. This enrages the right. The left will think that the election's been stolen from them if the right comes back and does anything, right? So so I think that war is in the cards here or chaos, anarchy, uh, civil war. I, I just don't see how we're gonna f- avoid significant physical a question problems that's been on my mind a lot this last week is who benefits who is benefiting from all of this going on right now who benefited from the events of wednesday who benefits from the chaos and we can say the oligarchy but i think we can even get more specific who is benefiting from an american civil war the control the control grid, uh, war, I, I think the, the way that they'll get rid of guns is, uh, 
I don't think they can do it through legislation. I think it has to be done physically. You have to go house to house. You have to break people's noses, shoot people, shoot a bunch of people, and take their guns. Does the American military and and various state police forces and city police forces, do they have that in them to do that? Or is it somebody else completely? Do they not use the military and the police? How, how would they pull that off? By creating a situation where foreign troops need to be on American soil. So UN troops or Chinese anarchy. troops? Yeah, a- anarchy. And if, if America looks uh, like we're in an anarchistic situation, I think that we have demonstrated to the world that it's okay to go into other people's countries and be quote-unquote peacekeepers. And so they would come over under the guise of a peacekeeping mission. So yeah, there's this, there's this idea out there, and it's more amongst the uh, fringe. I'm, I'm getting texts from all kinds of people, even as we're talking, that uh, there are potential military options on the table. Mike Pompeo just gave a speech. I don't know what, uh, what was in that speech. Somebody's asking me if I've seen it, that th- they're there's possibly going to be military action because of the what would be the deception uh, crimes that are going on behind the scenes. And I just don't think America wins if that happens. I think America wins if it walks away from the, from the corporate media and kind of engages in mass civil disobedience against our, our so when you say military action, you're, what what you're saying or what you're hearing is that Trump will use the military to retain office. Yeah, like I I didn't. Uh, well, and there's the possibility that the military could just jump in and say, "Hey, we're going to become the arbiters of uh, truth now." Where we wouldn't have a president at all for a minute, or it would it would change things dramatically. At the at the end of this, things are going to be dramatically different. No matter what happens at the end of this episode, things have changed irrevo- irrevocably, and we see this. Uh, in history, this happens to all nations. All the nations of the world, all the empires of the world have all fallen except for the ones that haven't fallen yet. Nobody thought the Soviet Union could fall, but it fell. And uh, the big episode that is most, perhaps most, the most recognizable episode that we could be looking at is Caesar cro- crossing the Rubicon. There's a lot of people that want Donald Trump to cross the Rubicon. He, the idea was that the Roman legions never entered Rome until they they were always used to subdue the the barbarians in the outlying sure. nations. One of my favorite movies is uh, Gladiator, and the, the first. Yeah, are 20, you not entertained? First twenty minutes of that are are, you know, the the legions out subduing the barbarians. Right, but when Caesar crosses the Rubicon, that's the historical moment when he brings the the army home to Rome and takes power, and then you ha- move from a republic to an empire the Roman Empire, when it was ruled by emperors. So uh, that's our historical precedent here. If you were living through that, the question is, what would the local buzz be? What would the, what would the word on the street be versus what's the official word? You know, you, you kind of got to put yourself, take a step back and say, we're, we're living in history. What did it look like right before the Berlin Wall fell? Or what what was going on? What were the people thinking? Well, right now you have a situation where both sides are pointing to the other side saying, you want to be the God King. Your side wants to be the God King. What we're, if we're not careful, and I, we haven't been careful, 
what we're going to end up with is both of us saying, we're both going to be pointing to the God King saying, how did this happen? Yeah. I didn't vote for that guy. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's what I'm getting at is here. What, what does the oligarchy really want? Do they want a democratic a Democrat in the in office. Is that all they want is just a Joe Biden? Is that why they engaged in the coronavirus thing? Because the coronavirus... See, I was having this this little, uh, you know, introspective moment, lying in bed, not wanting to get out of bed. I'm sure I've heard from a lot of friends. <laughs> it's like, why even get up? There's a national malaise that yeah, is set in yeah. to the United States. Yeah. And, and the corona shutdowns, lockdowns, all of this kind of suppression of... Yeah, and it's not just on the right. Have, it's not just on the right. No, I've it's heard, un- universal. Yeah, yeah. And, and we talked about this in previous episodes, so we won't go too deeply down it, but there is a national malaise, and that has been also part of the problem, that or part of the plan. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm, I'm willing to consider the other side here of, you know, my thinking and go, okay, maybe the media is right. Maybe they've, maybe we had a massive riot, and Donald Trump is a terrible guy, and, you know, all the things they're saying are true. I, sat, I was sitting there in bed thinking, what if I'm wrong? What if it's not what I thought? And then I, I keep going back in history going, but this would be different, but that would be different. They wouldn't have said this. You know, I'm looking at all of the lies and deceptions told in media, and I, I have to come back to the same point and say, no, it's pretty clear the media is lying. If, if there's anything that 2020 taught us, it's that we're all supposed to wear masks, but the oligarchy, the tyranny is unmasking itself right? They, they've, it's come to light that things are not as they seem and that the media is not telling the truth and it has an agenda. And so I, I have to I have to go back and say there are too many evidences of, of this intentional deception to think that it's not at a large, at a very high level, very controlled, that they have a narrative like a movie that they're that they're playing out over time, over a four, six, eight, ten-year period or something, and that we're all actors in it, right? All the world's a stage, and uh, the men and women are merely actors. This is uh, as you like it, William Shakespeare. Yeah, and, this is this isn't exactly what he's talking about, but it's a. But he says in there something interesting. He says that you know all all, all of us are players, and we all have our part to play, and. We come and we come and go. It, it might be worth reading that, because yeah, that's the, that's got more of an esoteric meaning. We 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 can talk about that more in the future. But the point is that narrative is the main thing that's at at stake here. Narrative drives the people. The people have to have a motive to do certain things, and so narrative control is the ultimate issue. You have to control the narrative. You can take control by military force, but that doesn't motivate a populace to to move all the levers of industry to to work for your for your industry and your behalf that doesn't motivate people to create and to um, operate in ways that keep a society going think about it this way if you had a king that had a a, a kingdom with lands and gold and horses and livestock and arms, you know, military arms, catapults, whatever, uh, crossbows, bows, swords, all of these things, piles and piles and piles and piles of gold. You've got a king sitting there with no people. (laughs) What good is all the stuff, right? This is not just about greed. This is not about greed. And if the if the people if the people don't matter if the people's 
motives and ideas don't matter, then none of it makes any sense. So the, the people have to be induced to believe a certain way. And so that's why I'm, I'm harping on this idea of narrative control. That's what's going on. And so the narrative has been, in order to create the false dichotomy, it has been, well, they just want a Biden presidency. And the, the freedom-loving people of America, I think, are genuinely concerned about this, and rightly so, because uh, uh, a Democrat-controlled Congress plus a Democrat-controlled executive, plus it's clear the Democrats have seem to have effective control over the courts, that creates a situation where liberty will quickly, if slowly or quickly, die. And um, the, the question is whether, just, whether that's what they really want is to continue to chip away at that, or is this leading to a more immediate reset, a more immediate adjustment in the society through the traditional means, which is war? There's, on the World Economic Forum's website, um, there's a picture, and it shows a button, and the button is kind of um, worn out, sort of apocalyptic looking, and on there it says, push to reset the world. And I've been thinking about, and of course, you know, we've all heard of the Great Reset, and I've been thinking about this word reset. what is a reset? A reset is usually not something good. It involves usually breaking down whatever was there before it. It's a it's a rebuild. Well, the rebuild it's a something of a reboot. If you think about it, if you reset your computer or you restart shut it your, off. Compa- your computer, it's usually because there's a problem, and then you shut it off and start clean. Or if you rebuild something, it's because it was for some reason demolished or it was functioning in a, functioning in a way that you didn't want it to function so therefore you turn it off and restart it to make it function the way you intend it to function and make make no mistake there are people in tremendous who have tremendous power who do not like the way the world works they think there are too many people they think there's too much freedom they think that too many people are wealthy they think that too many people are disease vectors and they're using, they're, they're very blatant. This is all on the WEF website. They're using COVID as cover to reset things that have nothing to do with the spread of a virus, particularly social, socioeconomic structures that really only exist anymore in the West, somewhat in other places. But we're being told, we're being fed this idea that the people who handled coronavirus properly are the Chinese. The New York Times recently published an article that's basically said that their totalitarianism saved lives because they were able to lock down and shut down misinformation and all of these these things that they've been wailing about this last 12 months, you know, misinformation and and things like that. Misinformation is the new Iraq has WMDs, which is super ironic because that itself was misinformation. But misinformation can be anything, but that's what's being used right now to to censor, to suppress. Right. And ultimately, it's being used to take away the last bits of freedom and liberty that we have left. And it's also going to be used to foment war. Was it Mark Twain that said, "If you read the, if you don't read the paper, you're uninformed. 
But if you read the paper, you're misinformed. <laughs> I think he also said, don't let school get in the way of your education. Right. <laughs> wow. Smart man. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So, so the reset, um, I, th- I feel like, you know, we talked about before we started this podcast, what kind of a energy are we going to be giving to people? And, and we've just been really kind of in a dazed and confused way, I feel, <laughs> discussing the events of the last week. And for me, the thoughts are gravitating towards the idea that this can't, it can't be, the, 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 the narrative is scripted, even including elements on the right, even including these uh, intimations that Trump is going to do something. In a certain way, it's scripted. I'm not saying it's all scripted. But the, the overall picture is scripted, and I just don't, and maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe in six months we'll be talking about the slow grind and the Democrats and all the crap they're trying to pull while the, while the fake uh, Fox News side of the media fights against it, and then they get little creeping changes implemented. Maybe that's what we'll be talking about in, in six months. But it just seems to me like, in history, you have long periods of sort of stability, whether under tyranny or not, and then you have short periods of change. And I just feel like we're in the period of ch- the short period of change. We're no longer in the long period of stability, and that is very disconcerting to me. And I, I don't mean to be a destabilizing influence to people out there. I hope that you recognize that you should try to be a stabilizing influence in your family, in your circles. And that means being prepared. That means being able to to vet information appropriately. You need to know who, who and how has been de- deceiving and lying to you. That's why we've been talking about this. But it doesn't it doesn't mean you should take it. We're not we're not telling you what action to take. You need to take action. Indecision in and of itself is an action. It's a decision. And so, uh, I just I just can't shake the feeling that this is this is uh, happening right now. And that in two weeks, the, the uh, you know, after January 20th or whenever the inauguration is, if that even happens, I can't shake the feeling that the, it's possible we could be living in a totally different type of country. Are you interested in avalanches? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that's something that's occupied my a lot of my attention, but I, I'll bet you have done some research on them. Well, I was thinking about avalanches the other day because I was out in the snowy mountains. It sounds a lot like uh, Ultron from Age of Ultron. He says to the Scarlett Johansson character, he's like, he has her captive, and he says, I think a lot about meteors, the purity of them. Well, avalanches, <laughs> avalanches are misunderstood. Okay. Our movies and things have taught us that an avalanche is caused by a loud noise. A loud noise. That's not the case. Okay. Avalanches are not caused by loud noises. Not at all. Okay. Avalanches are caused by a fairly quick overloading of the existing snowpack. It has to do with melting, right? And then underneath it no? can, but it's mostly to do with with just uh, too much snow. Too much weight. So what you can have, for example, is See, snow and snow, a snowpack is not all the same snow from the top to the bottom. You have layers. Mm-hmm. Snow forms in layers, which, which occur over the course of different storms. So you might, have, you might have eight feet of snow 
but in that bottom six inches might have fallen in October and is now rotten, old, crumbly snow that's been there for months. And on top of it is sitting eight and a half feet or eight feet of subsequent storms. Anyway, the cause of an avalanche is when an, a, one of those layers, it might be the very bottom one, it might be one somewhere within that snowpack, collapses because it's overloaded due to sudden, a sudden impact, a sudden change. The most common causes for those sudden changes are new snowstorms. So the most, the most, uh, the most uh, volatile time for a snowpack is when it's snowing, when there's a big blizzard, because all that new weight mm-hmm. and wind can move snow onto certain areas. So wind can pull snow off one side of a slope to the other. That's how a cornice is formed. You've seen a cornice. Sometimes those cornices will break and cause avalanches, or just wind loading will create new snow on that other side, which will cause the slope to collapse. And there's a lot of different kinds of avalanches. I don't need to get into all of those. We'll put a link up. But How avalanches formed prior to 2020. <laughs> and now how people think they form. <laughs> so, but, so, and, and another sudden change can be a person. Uh, walking along. Jumping or onto jump, the slope. Skiing on skiing. it or something. So a lot of times, most, most avalanche accidents are, are caused by are the person caused by the person or somebody in that party causing them. I, I myself have set off some smaller avalanches. Some of them we tried, you know, we tried to set off. And uh, you might, if you've ever skied, you might hang around after um, the ski resort closes and um, you might hear some big booms. And that's because the, the ski resorts literally bomb the slopes to do avalanche control work. It's not the loud noise; it's the bomb mm-hmm. itself. And these are—I'm not—it's—it's it's literal little bombs. They'll yeah, drop they out have of explosives. I've heard about that. They'll shoot old World War II cannons, uh, artillery up against things to to trigger avalanches. Sudden impacts can collapse a, a large masses, slope. but also impacts, but also steady overloading that you may not notice right away. And so an avalanche, a slope could avalanche without an obvious Mm -hmm. sudden impact. It could just collapse and slide because over time that, that impact that, that, or that load has become too heavy again. And there's a lot of, a lot of different causes there. What I'm getting at is that society is a snowpack is a slope. Right now, we are experiencing sudden changes and sudden impacts. After a great deal of loading. After a great deal of loading, stress, anxiety, unemployment, sickness, a contested political election. The slope is... is, It's sufficiently loaded. It's starting to collapse. And we saw that with some of these summer riots. We saw it with the Wednesday Capitol incident. These are incidences that will lead to overload and collapse and avalanches can be extremely devastating they can they can take out an entire mountainside trees that have been standing for years and years can get wiped out particularly aspen trees but they can change the landscape of a of a of a mountain slope and there's again i don't need to get into all the details but you're not helping me feel better well there's things that 
skiers, backcountry skiers, which is something I used to be really into, can do to avoid avalanches. One of the most important things to do is knowing the terrain and knowing where to go and where not to go and when to be there and not to be there. There are certain days where absolutely it's safe to ski the big lines, you know, the big photogenic bowls and things that you see pictures of. There's other days where you don't go anywhere near there. Mm. So knowing the terrain is important. I think this is us talking about false dichotomy right here. Don't get caught in a land war in Asia. And then second and only slightly less well-known is this. Never go in against the secret conspiracy criminal syndicate combination when death is on the line. I mean... Exactly. (laughs) To do so would be inconceivable. Inconceivable, yeah. So we we talked about giving up your guns uh, earlier and and advise our advice is to not give up your guns 100% do not give up your guns but also do not use your gun unlawfully don't be trigger happy don't be the guy that fires first just owning a gun creates an uneasy truce between you and any one that would try to rule you learn how to use it okay learn how to safely carry it if it's legal where you live to get a concealed carry permit, I suggest doing so even if you don't intend to carry because those classes are extremely informative. Right. I agree. And they te- what they in at least in Utah, the main point of the class is to teach you what the law, the law. is. It's very much a, a and what the what the um so to kind of wrap the, what the what the morality of it is. Right. And when, when is it, When's when, it is, appropriate when is to deadly use, force justified? Right. But, but, be, and, and I recently took, retook one of those classes and the instructor and the instructor spent a lot of time talking about de-escalation. And instead of, if you find yourself in a situation, instead of being very quickly to show your weapon or to draw your weapon or to fire your weapon, Look for ways to de-escalate the situation so you never have to even reveal that you are mm-hmm. armed. See, that that's a good point. But there comes a point in time where if you spend time de-escalating, you get killed. And sure. that, that recognition is difficult. And so if we're, if we're comparing this analogy to the totality of our society, a lot of people would say, well, we should de-escalate then. Let's... Let's let's give an olive, olive branch to the media or to the left or whatever. De-escalate, and they have been taking your olive branches for years. De-escalate does not does not mean capitulation. It doesn't mean that that the guy trying to rob you gets off scot free. Right. It just means you try to avoid having to shoot him in the chest. Twice, three times, <laughs> whatever. And so, if we're still looking at the avalanche analogy. Knowing the terrain, knowing what it, what, you know, we would, we would still ski on high risk avalanche days. We just wouldn't ski in the high risk areas. This, the whole purpose, besides the fact that we thought it might be, some people might like to listen to our conversations, the whole purpose for this podcast and, and the name we chose and all this rationale was to help people see things more clearly to think more clearly about what's going on and reframe the discussion in a rational, natural rights, moral way. It is in no way, shape, or form, this information is not in any way, shape, or form making it to the public square right now. And that's why I am so adamant that we need to be helping people recognize the deceptions going on in the media because 
whether whether that de-escalates the situation temporarily or not, it does not promote truth, freedom, liberty, right thinking, uh, good, healthy interactions between people, truth, again, learning. This It's creating a, a separation of society similar to what we see in H.G. Wells' Time Machine. Was he the one that wrote uh, War of the Worlds? We decided that last time, right? We looked that up. Well, H.G. Wells he, had some really interesting webs, uh, uh, insight. Yeah, he wrote it, right? And then Orson Welles did the radio broadcast, right? Eight, yeah. H.G. was the author, yeah. Orson, and I don't know if there's any relation there. but Yeah, it's a little confusing, but but H.G. Wells also wrote The Time Machine. And in The Time Machine, you have two races of people that... Well, it's an interesting discussion before you get to the Morlocks and the Eloys because um, the... Uh, if I, I didn't read the book, I saw the movie, the one with, uh, what's his name? Pierce. Um, Brosnan? No, uh, the, his last name's Pierce. Is it Guy Pierce? Oh. Or is that a director? I don't know. There's I didn't two see Pierces. the movie. Yeah, one guy. Um, sorry, celebrities, I have forgotten your names. But we, uh, there's it's, a movie. It's for the best. And he... Uh, the, he builds the time machine, but he then uh, try his 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 girlfriend, his fiance dies, and he attempts to go back and save her. And he he repeatedly goes back, and, and no matter what, there's an inevitable destiny. She's she's destined to die, so he gets upset, and in, in his upset state, he moves into the future, and he steps out at a couple of points, but he finally just goes way into the future when when the the landscape, the terrain around him has changed dramatically. And he encounters, and this is what most people will talk about, is the the encountering of the Eloy race, which is a really docile, happy-go-lucky tribal type of a race that was, they didn't really know where their food came from. But every once in a while, there would be a, a, a terroristic type of a, a moment where they all run for their lives because this other race, the Morlocks, would come and steal away those people. And then you find out later that the Morlocks are basically feeding the Eloys as if they're a flock of sheep or something. And then they come back and feed on the, uh, the Eloy. They are cannibals. They eat the Eloy. And so you have a, a oh, Jeremy Irons plays the bad guy. At least I remember his name. He plays the head Morlock in, in the, the Time Machine movie that I'm thinking of. The, the point is that, that that's what humanity had devolved into, was a, was a society where one part of society was feeding on the other society, and that part was secretive and underground and terrorizing the other side, but the other side was living, for the most part, in ignorant bliss. And my, my reason for bringing that up is the man was, you know, in multiple ways, very prophetic, you know, when you think in metaphor and symbol and in, in themes verse and function versus literal, um, like a literal prophecy, like a lot, there are a lot of folks out there in the public who would think, oh, well, that would never happen. You know, how would people evolve? They think in the physical. You get, I think most of our listeners get this. That is a great metaphor for the way society is right now. And it could be worse. It could be worse. But literally, we have a... a overclass that is feeding on the people. And, and that's the same, in a certain way, the same uh, uh, analogy being portrayed by the Matrix, where the machine is feeding off of the people as if they're batteries, uh, Duracell batteries. 
and we the truth will set you free when you know the truth the truth sets you free and we're we're just fast approaching a time where is it even going to be possible to say the truth to talk about it without off with your head you know i i just don't know i think the idea of metaphor and mythology is super important and it's something that whether you realize it or not, whether it's something you're interested in or not, is front and center in our lives, whether it's from our media and our movies and our television and our folklore or in your religious tradition. This idea that there are universal myths and universal themes and archetypes is important and it's being lost it's being lost, and I think on purpose. Because, it has been lost. Right. And it, what it does is it makes people not recognize the patterns. The patterns, and it all, it, what it also does is that it, 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 it dehumanizes us. It creates, it, it turns us into mere cogs. To in a beasts, machine. Into, into animals. Right, or into a class of people who deserve nothing more, who, who deserve no more than to be fed upon by our elite rulers. You know, I'm thinking of that video we alluded to with Mitt Romney at the airport, who doesn't, and, and, and you can make the argument that the woman was maybe a little too aggressive, but he, what does he do? He turns his back and walks away. What he could have done was take a stupid mask off so we can see his face, and invited the woman to sit down and then shut his mouth and let her rant and say, I'm, and at the end he could have said, I'm sorry you feel that way. Thank you for. He could have said it in know. a non sanctimonious way. Instead, he yells he, at her. He can't be bothered. And Spencer Cox does the same thing with the same woman. He, he runs his mouth. What he should have done is shut his stupid mouth and let her rant. And then maybe. When he's up on that fire truck getting his picture taken, maybe he could have taken a moment of introspection or Rip or Mitt Romney on the plane could have taken a moment of self-reflection and figure out, are these people angry because they're all conspiracy theorists and whack jobs that believe in some, uh, some internet live action role play? Or do they have something legitimate to say and are struggling to figure out how to say it? the Capitol riot is going to be written off as angry white men who have nothing legitimate to say. And so nobody at the Capitol, Republican or Democrat, nobody in the news corporation is going to take three minutes to say, is there something legitimate going on? And people are struggling to understand how to express that. Because as you've said, when, when, the, uh, when the voice of the people is silenced, the people resort to violence. To violence. Because or, that is all that's left. To force. They, they then have to throw off the chains that bind them and provide new guards for their future security. That's just, that is the only thing left when you can't petition your government for redress and become, and be heard. And what, what we're, sorry if I'm interrupting here, but... Uh, what we have here is essentially a playing out of the prophecy in Isaiah chapter three. It says, "The Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem, from Judah, 
the stay in the staff, the whole stay of bread, the whole stay of water, the mighty man, the man of war, the judge, the prophet, the prudent, the ancient, the captain of 50, the honorable man, the counselor, the cunning artificer, the eloquent orator. And I will give children to be their princes and babes shall rule over them and the people shall be oppressed, every one by another and every man by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient, the base and, and against the base and the, or the, and the base against the honorable. I mean, that's a pattern that plays out. It's not necessarily an end times thing. A lot of people look at this as some sort of a chronology. No, that's just the typical thing that happens when your society gets to this point. Like, where are our statesmen? You're talking about Romney. You're talking about um, Spencer Cox. I, I would throw into that almost every politician that I've talked to. It's not just guys in Utah. It's not just guys on the left or on the right. They give you lip service. They should listen. They should be, their, their manner is like you indicated. They can't be bothered. We have children that are our princes. Babes rule over us. And where are the good men? Where, where are the statesmen? Where, where is the prudent, the ancient? Well, Ron Paul, he's getting cut off of uh, YouTube and all kinds of other places right now. He was perhaps the last really good, solid, rational person running for president that we could have we could have changed uh, a lot of our course he would be the leader to look to he is a man that could instruct you that could you could he could say we don't do this because thank you for your concern but if we do that then it it hurts all of these people over here or if we do this then this faction gets too much power he was that type of a man there was a rational man there was a moment an honorable man in one of the presidential debates when he was running, would this have been 12? It was the primaries, the Republican primaries. 2012. Yeah, he ran in 2008 and 2012. And the topic was foreign policy. And Ron Paul cited the golden rule and was booed by the crowd. That's when I knew we were in trouble as a nation when the golden rule, it was being booed. <laughs> right. And, and we were way too close to 9-11. But we're still people, you people that think that we should have been involved in those wars in the Middle East. Look at what we did. Do you think do you think we protected America? Do you think that I mean, we're still over there. What's been accomplished? What's been accomplished? What will be accomplished in the upcoming Syrian war or Iranian war? Right. Or who knows where else we're going to find reason well, to drop bombs. George Bush was right when he said mission accomplished. They accomplished their mission. They destabilized the Middle East, and they have made America look like the bully to the world. They set the stage for, for a hot World War III. And, and that mission was accomplished. And we are in a situation where, we, where those rational people, the people that ought to be leading the society, are conspicuously absent. Joseph Campbell wrote about what's kind of become known as the hero's journey, the monomyth. He was a professor of synchro, uh, of comparative mythology. So you call that uh, syncretism. And so a lot of the ancient, uh, in the ancient world, many of the cultures have similar myths. And there's a lot of conjecture about where that comes from. I think they originated from the same archetypal stories, the same archetypal narrative, uh, trying to, uh, explain 
the the true history of the spiritual world, not the physical world, the spiritual, the war between the gods and why there's good and evil in the world. And so all of these myths ha- uh, at least originate from a, a line of thinking that's explaining that. And in our day, I, I don't want to steal your thunder, but th- but that message of good versus evil and who is good and who is evil has been inverted. And it's it's being inverted in our in our movies and stuff, but that's not what you wanted to talk about. The hero itself well, and the society itself has yeah, has d- been damaged because of it. He, and one of the one of the aspects of the monomyth, this universal myth, is that the hero comes from relative obscurity, unknown origin, Luke, unknown parentage. Luke Skywalker is the classic he, modern cinematic example yeah and i would say harry potter is too yeah his parents are dead he doesn't know who he is well he also he also and and he first wrote the hero with a thousand faces in 1949 so almost what is it 60 years ago that's a long time ago 70 years ago okay good math (laughs) thanks for straightening me out bobby (laughs) so long before the uh advent of mass media, you know, the way we know it today, the internet, um, you know, even cinema was quite a bit different back then. But the idea that the hero's hero's journey doesn't just apply to the supernatural heroes that we read about in, in mythology and in fiction, but actually applies to every individual. And every one of us, and Jordan touched on this, every one of us has that journey to, to, take we all are traveling along that journey and it can be spiritual i think there's also physical elements to it um as far as the way we act the way we behave the people that we become the societies that we help form one key uh aspect of the hero's journey is the call to adventure and that's the moment where our obscure hero has to make a decision of whether or not he will accept the call to adventure. In Luke Skywalker's case, it happens when his aunt and uncle are killed, and Obi-Wan says, you can come with me. And in some cases, the hero is essentially forced into it. That happens, I think, to a lot of us. But yeah, it's the deci- the point of decision. Am Harry, I going to be the hero or not? Harry Potter's moment is when Hagrid shows up and says, you're a wizard, Harry. Yeah. And he's whisked off into a new world and and the same with Luke Skywalker he's he literally goes to a new world he leaves the world and all of this you know is is allegorical and symbolic so what do we do in our own lives when that call to adventure happens and are we maybe as a society are we universally experiencing a call to adventure right now Absolutely. And what's I mean, the... I mean, the alternative, if we don't take up the hero's journey and fight against this, the alternative is that literally I'm sitting here imagining we have said enough. Uh, the Cardinal Richelieu said, you know, give me six lines penned by the hand of an honest man and I'll give you uh, a reason to hang him. We have said enough in the last five episodes, including this one, to be hung. And because of the type of attitude out there right now that we that dissent dissent from the the 
inexorable march to tyranny is in and of itself domestic terrorism under the laws would give the government the purported right to descend upon this home with their jackbooted soldiers to come down here and take every bit of electronic device in this home and go to my home and do the same thing and then use all of that information, whatever is on it, against us. That is the alternative. Like you, the, 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 the rationale, the excuses for, um, for the government taking that kind of violent, oppressive action are becoming less and less apparent to the ruling class, less and less uh, of a hurdle to, to the tyranny. And they're that, disappearing. The that, hurdles are being knocked down. Right. And that's the, that is the future we face is that any one of you people could become a thought criminal. We've, we've brought up uh, Solzhenitsyn before. Gulag Archipelago. And those Russian prisons were full, were full of loyal communists. And the reason I say that is that right now you might think you're on the right side of all of this. You might think this is great that Twitter is censoring Donald Trump. He deserves it. Well, my point is that at some point, all of us are going to be on the wrong side of this. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be in a prison, whether that's metaphorical or not, with people who thought they were loyal party believers. People who thought they were righteous. People who thought they were without Solzhenitsyn a legal blemish. himself was a soldier. Why was he arrested? Yeah, he was an officer. Right. And the, the, those prisons were full of military officers who were arrested essentially because they knew too much. Mm-hmm. And his adventure began when he entered the prison system and he had to then unravel the mystery of where their public mind had gone wrong. I mean, he wasn't really dissenting until Stalin during World War II had started to... He wasn't even really dissenting. He just expressed... Uh, some some views that weren't kosher in a letter to a, a comrade and then was wrapped up in the dragnet. And, he, and the people, he, yeah, the people in prison with him were not dissenters in the sense that we think of dissenters today. They weren't picketing in the streets. They weren't causing violence and protests and riots. They were regular people that were just arrested off of the tip of the inf- a neighbor. A neighbor informing. Informer. Yeah. We're quickly descending into that now. Yeah, tell tell on your neighbor. That's that's a big thing during coronavirus. And we've and in previous episodes we've talked about some of that how that's gone awry in different but, parts of the world. But really, what we're, what I think you wanted to talk about was the the adventure, the call to adventure, and the hero's journey, and the fact that our society has lost its its humanity, and inhumanity is our divinity. That is something that's been lost, and the whole, whole idea of the journey is that. Another way said is it's a it's a grail quest. It's a quest for the divine and the virtuous inside of each of us. And the hero comes to a, a inflection point, a, a fork in the road, and he has to decide: Am I going to go on the quest, or am I going to go quietly into the night? That moment of decision is going to come to each of us, if it hasn't already, whether you want it to or not we're all going to be forced into into that decision. And it's way too easy just to say, this will pass. Right. This is what separates us from the animals. They don't have that kind of a decision. We 
there's so much unexplainable phenomenon in, in the life of a human and in humanity itself and in society that it's almost laughable that people don't recognize at least something supernatural, something beyond, some, some supreme essence or essences, you know. It, and, and at this point... We are spiritual people is what I'm saying. And at this point, that is the essence of what is actually being assaulted right now. It's not just that we can't, it's not just that we can't go to an NBA game with a, in a full stadium. It's that we can't express our humanity, human nature. That is what is at stake here is who we are as individuals and as people. And then ultimately as a society, as a culture. Right. And for, for those that aren't Mormon, forgive me here, but, uh, there's a section in the Mormon Doctrine and Covenants that is super applicable here. Uh, the Lord Jesus claims the title Spirit of Truth. We cannot seek out the Spirit of Truth under these circumstances. Truth is under attack. Just open discourse is under attack, and, and as a consequence of that, the search for truth is under attack. And, and it comes at a time where there's more potential for truth and error available because of the internet, because of technology, because of the advances of society, the issue here is whether you are able to seek out and find that truth for yourself or whether you need to be told the truth by a corporate oligarchy, by the, by the mouthpieces of a co- corporate oligarchy, and whether you need to be told what is acceptable or what is not, or whether you can discover that yourself through the journey. That's, that's what's at stake here. Truth is at stake. Joseph Campbell finishes The Hero with a Thousand Faces with this, and I'm going to just read it. It says, Man is that alien presence with whom the forces of egoism must come to terms, through whom the ego is to be crucified and resurrected, and whose image society is to be reformed. Man understood, however, not as I, but as thou. For the ideals and temporal institutions of no tribe, race, continent, social class, or century can be the measure of the inexhaustible and multifariously wonderful divine existence that is the life in all of us. The modern hero, the modern individual who dares to heed the call and seek the mansion of that presence with whom it is our whole destiny to be atoned, cannot, indeed must not, wait for his community to cast off its sloth of pride, fear, rationalized avarice, and sanctified misunderstanding. Live, Nietzsche says, as though the day were here. It is not society that is to guide and save the creative hero, but precisely the reverse. And so every one of us shares the supreme ordeal, carries the cross of the Redeemer, not in the bright moments of his tribe's great victories, but in the silences of his personal despair. Wise words, Joseph Campbell. Now is the point where we as individuals decide. We either take up the cross, we either take up the adventure, or we don't. <laughs>